having received all your letters over the years, and, 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 and I've spoken to many of you, and some of you have traveled, you know, hundreds of miles uh, to be here, I'd just like to say, get a life, will you, people? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean for, for crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. <laughs> I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. You, 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 you've turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few years into a colossal waste of time. I mean, I mean how old are you people? So move out of your parents' basements and, and get your own apartments and, and grow the hell up. I mean, it's just a TV show, damn it. It's just a TV show. Are, are you saying then that we should pay more attention to the movies? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. People of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary And add this word to your vocabulary Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby I'm a nerd over drive I would always survive Fanboy, baby Feel so alive watching Babylon 5 That's right, this is Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting actually on a Monday, September 21st. Uh, we're hoping that the sounds of our voices will break the Northern California heat wave. Uh, we're on a Monday night because uh, we've all been to various different places, and we, we are going to be off a little bit. Uh, we... As of next weekend, we have a convention appearance, which we are going to talk about in just a bit. Uh, but we, once again, want to mention, since it's 8 o'clock on that Monday night, we are not responsible for any geek news that happens after 8 o'clock tonight uh, for this this podcast. We are podcasting from the Brett Cave, and I should introduce everyone else because we have a special guest as well. So, of course, first of all, our man in Los Angeles... Uh, and uh, we have a special guest tonight uh, who we'll be talking to in just a moment about a local film festival coming up, and that is local actor, uh, film producer, and bon vivant. Say hello to the people. Hello, this is Robert Sean Campbell. Thank you guys so much for having me. All righty. And, of course, across from the table, literally hosting this podcast and producing this podcast both at the same time, and he has drained... A well-deserved glass of alcohol. Juggling Rick Brett Snyder. <laughs> That's your new your, your new nickname. I can cha- I can have that changed. All right, juggling Rick Brett Snyder. It was going to be Juggalo, but I didn't. No, think no, I don't no. think you know what you're getting into when you say that. Yeah. Um, you like my makeup? I wondered what that was. Okay. Suddenly, everything falls into place. Anyway, uh, of course, if you're listening to this, uh, you're listening to a podcast, you may have found us on iTunes. And if you did, please rate us, please review us, and please subscribe and tell your friends. Because the more feedback we get that way, the higher we show up there on iTunes. You can also do the same on the Stitcher app. Or you can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com. Where you can also find, if we've talked about something on this podcast tonight where you think I'd like to like to get that item and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, we always say try to f- support your local businesses first, 
We have a handy-dandy Amazon link, sometimes specifically to those items that you can use to purchase things through Amazon, and we get a tiny kickback. And if that's not enough in your support of Fanboy Planet and its podcast, you may also go to www.fanboyplanet.com and you'll find the PayPal donation link. Here's a helpful hint. Yes. If you would like to help us out and you're going to buy something from Amazon anyway, if you go to Amazon via one of our links. That's true. And buy anything on Amazon, almost anything, we will get a little bit of a kickback. Very, very little. So, please, kick. I know, because people are using Amazon all the time. It must be. They're a very successful company. I bought my coffee on Amazon. And if you've got any... Oh, Lord. If you've got any questions, comments, compliments, criticism, commentary, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also tweet us at fanboyplanet. And you can find us on Facebook at fanboyplanet. See how convenient that was. All right, so let's uh, get started. We've got some comics news. We've got some movie news. We've got some TV news. Top story today is... This weekend, so this is uh, the 21st, I'm going to have to quickly do math on the fly, starting Friday, September 25th in Cupertino, California at the Blue Light Cinemas is the Diamond in the Rough Independent Film Festival. This is the first of its kind, not of film festivals, but of the Diamond in the Rough Independent Film Festival, an inaugural event this weekend running Friday night at 6.30 to probably not continuously you guys are going to sleep right um you know till uh sunday evening a three-day film festival of independent films local filmmakers and probably not just local but that's why we have robert sean campbell here tonight uh he's been on the podcast before we uh because diamond in the rough is a local film production company that had uh, done a film called serp and we had attended the uh, previous screening of that and we talked to rob afterwards about doing this uh, about this science fiction film they had done which is also available on amazon i believe right rob that's true, and uh, thanks for the call out there. Yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, we'll have a link to SERP up on, on How do you as well. spell SERP? S-E-R-P. There you go. Means search engine return, what's the P for? Result, result page. Re- yeah. Result page. Search engine result page. Yes. So if you need to use the search engine result page to find SERP, go ahead. But we have the, we'll have the link on Amazon. So, uh, Rob, it's kind of an interesting jump from... You're doing independent films. I know you've done some short films, and you've also been in a few shorts by uh, that our friend Jason Salazar has uh, written, directed. You've been in uh, Donovan and Sims, though you have not uh, yet co-starred with my son in any of those episodes. But uh, but you are, uh, you know, you've been in a lot of local stuff. But it's um, it's a leap from making a movie to making a film festival. Why did you guys want to do that? That's a really great question. And uh, when my uh, so there's three. Uh, tiers, if you will, of, of Diamond and the Rough films. We have Mark Schwab, who is um, the one of the, the founding uh, people of, of this uh, tripod, if you will, and, and actually started the company years and years and years ago. Uh, he's the director and really the thought genius behind a lot of the things we do. Went to Toronto Film School. Uh, and then there's Mark Balunas, two Marks, easy to remember, mm-hmm. uh, who's really our editing uh, branch of this, as well as creative and, uh, and also a brilliant actor himself. And when he came to me with the or with us, to, to Schwab came to Balunas and I with the idea. That was kind of what I thought. I said, well, shouldn't we focus on what we do, which is making the films that we want to make? And and Mark came up with a really Schwab came up with a really good pitch to us, which was, look, there's not enough opportunities for truly independent films in the Bay Area and really the greater world right now. You know, films that are not backed by some Hollywood 
company and, and they're calling it quote unquote independent still have one, two, three million dollar budgets and calling themselves independent because they're not necessarily under a specific label. Um, so we came up with the idea of doing a kind of a two tiered approach, getting our name out to the community, the greater Barry community is that we are a film company here doing our own type of uh, creative original work uh, at a micro budget level, but also giving opportunities originally focused solely on the Bay Area to, you know, give opportunities for, for filmmakers around here to get together, meet, talk, share ideas, and maybe collaborate going into the future. And this really snowballed into a really fantastic experience. I mean, we received, for a first-year film festival, we received over 1,300 submissions Holy. from over 30 different countries. Wow. And um, we ended up scheduling about 35 films uh, from 10 different countries. All of them are world, West Coast, or Bay Area premieres. So it's really quite uh, a fantastic experience and, and one that really just came out of this idea of trying to provide more opportunities to not only see truly independent films, but network with those individuals that are making them. Okay, now when you say you got 1,300 entries and you've got from all over the world, mm-hmm. how do you get the word out? You're a fledgling film festival, never done this before. Sure. How do 1,300 films find their way to you? So going the festival route this day and age, just like anything else, uh, there's search engines for it, right? And one of them, uh, of course, is and without a box. And what was the result which, page? Yeah. I'm sorry? Uh, never mind. I was trying to tie back to SERP. It's a very meta oh, yeah, podcast. Search engine result page on Amazon. Actually, if you uh, Google, this is a great little tidbit. It got picked up on a torrent. SERP got picked up on a torrent about uh, four months ago. And the the views on the YouTube page went from 100 on the, the trailer to over 7,000 in about two weeks. Um, and there was, I think, some ridiculous like 17 or – actually, I think it was like 70,000 downloads in a very short period of time. So if you go to your computer right now while you're listening to this podcast, type in, is the government of the United States evil? The first uh, result that should show up or that I that's showed up when I've done these searches is actually uh, – is SERP. So there's a, there's a fun little thing to tie back to. Um, so uh, what we went in and how do we, we get don't the, condone the that by the way, cause we don't want the government paying attention to us. Shh. Okay. That's go true. ahead. Um, whatever I just said, forget about it, but don't. Yes. Uh, um, right. Uh, so no, we, we actually, uh, posted it up on, um, let me just find the name. And, and of course this is outside of, uh, of my brilliant, uh, Film, I believe it was putting me on the spot here. I just got to find a film. It's one of these search engines. I, I know without a box because that's the one that we usually go through in terms of submitting our own films to. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but I think it was a uh, film freeway. Okay, um, so there are exchange sites basically for this kind of information, and there, then there are a lot of people clamoring at those, looking for opportunities for their films. So, absolutely, you mentioned uh, you know that like you say these films that are that claim to be low but uh, claim to be independent. And they still got a million dollar budget uh, to a three million dollar budget. Did you put some sort of, of budget restriction uh, on it? Like you can only enter if you spent fifty thousand dollars and uh, some chewing gum on this. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the way that we sort of uh, articulated it to the the greater 
a filmmaking world is is we're really looking for those true independent films so no is a simple answer to your question and we didn't get we got some that were sort of ridiculously funded and in terms of this film festival ridiculously funded means i think we may have one or two that that broke the million dollar mark um but as a first year film festival, you know, the, the people that are going to Sundance or Cinequest or anything like that, they, it's on the radar. They know when they create their film and they're dropping five to, to six million dollars where they're specifically going to go. Um, so we didn't have to necessarily run into that too often. Um, so it, it was nice in that. But there were one or two films that we we literally thought we sit there. We talked about Mark, Mark and I and said, OK, well. The budget's this. Uh, these are the names that are in this film. Uh, does this fit our mission statement? And we had to make some really difficult decisions and, and choose to be true to our film festival, ones that were truly diamond in the roughs. You know, some of these films may not have the best, you know, composition in terms of the video. Maybe some of these have slightly off uh, audio levels. Not all of them, but maybe one or two of them. But it's it's about the storytelling and it's about which ones of these 1,300 submissions from over you know 30 different countries or 50 different countries, which one of these really stood out to say, this one tells a really interesting story that makes me want to stay engaged for the two minutes for some of our really shorts or the five minutes or even the hour and 90 minutes uh, that or the, the 90 minutes, hour and a half <laughs> ones that we're showing. Yeah, hour and 90 minutes, that's a long one. But uh, you know what I mean, the, the 90 minute films out there, there's, there's one or two of them. Um, that that go that distance but they really keep you engaged for the entire the entire span so it's it was really it was a great experience i mean as a as a filmmaker you know uh specifically my portion of the world tends to be more on the acting producing standpoint right and it was fascinating to really sit here and watch some of these films because you sit there and you, and you can see really within seconds sometimes maybe sometimes it takes a couple minutes which films really are successful and which films aren't and it's and it's interesting. It, it provides a really good insight to the greater world that is making films. I think. Okay, now I'm going to put you on the spot yet again. With, oh gosh. Uh, which is the assumption that you know you've seen everything that is going to be screened. Mm-hmm. What would be your recommendation if I could only make one? And I apologize that I am unavailable this weekend. But if I could, if if a listener. There was one that you said that would be what this whole festival is about, or this is a voice that you just can't miss. What would be that film? See, and that's 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 definitely putting me on the spot because we've done something really interesting, I think, in terms of the way that we schedule these films. So we've we've broken them into themed uh, nine themed segments, right? So we we start out on this sort of right between the eyes stuff that really gets to the point right away, and and it's kind of. Uh, intense and then we go to trapped which has serp actually is uh on friday night you, you can see serp and it's it's new format the the one that you guys have not seen it's a it's a shorter version the audio has been corrected um there's been some other tweaks into the story so that's interesting but then we jump into politics and we we talk jump into legal so it, it's a really hard question to answer because you look at all these segments and you can really find some really interesting things for example i mean if you're lo- really interested in this kind of uh, legal documentary point. There's this film called Without Charity, and it's this this really interesting documentary about these three murders and the trial that followed them, and who actually was incarcerated and why they were incarcerated, and the whole story behind it, and what is premeditation versus. And it's really some really interesting, deep kind of thought. And then you've got some crazy, interesting 
random stuff like Alien Tampon from Germany, which is one of the most ridiculously Go awesome on. things I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The title alone got us uh, involved. So it's uh, when would <laughs> us when would find well at least caught my attention. It did. When, uh, see when when would you? So I would assume that's under like a sci-fi block. So since this is the Fanboy Planet podcast, yep. what would be the sci-fi block? When's the time for that? And uh, yeah. There's basically, I think that there, there's a couple of them. If you're really looking on Saturday night starting at 6, so we have this uh, otherworldly suspense. So it's it's some that have sort of this uh, sci-fi bit at times. There's a vampire piece in there as well, time, time span travel. There's this interesting one called Flat Black that's about uh, sort of uh, mythology and stories about a certain location, um, urban, or urban myths. And then right after that one, so that's at uh, 6 p.m. on on Saturday night. Right after that is the in on the joke portion at 8. So that's got Alien Tamp on it. It's this awesome little short. And then it's followed actually by this really interesting documentary from Australia called Gone Lesbo Gone, which is a uh, documentary based on this feature called Lesbo a Go-Go. Uh, you got this is just it's hilarious. It's just in this really faux. It's it's about the making of this faux sixties exploitation film, and it's it's just it's uh, it's kind of laugh out loud funny. So so fun um, for the whole family. Pretty, pretty much, you know, if you're gonna roll out with the kids, that's the one you want to go to, um, without a doubt. There's so your wife won't be listening to this podcast. Not uh, at all. No, <laughs> she doesn't even know. I mean, Derek, she's met you maybe once or twice, and uh, there's a reason. Are, but there's a reason. Will she hang out? No, there's a reason. Exactly, exactly. Um, it really, honestly, so so it, it takes you through the festival itself. Really takes you through some really interesting emotions and some interesting topics. And we start on sort of this really intense, right in your face idea, and we we go through the different uh, emotions of, of the weekend, and then end at this really this really fantastic reflecting on life portion where we talk a little bit about uh, we have we have one of our shorts that's fit into that called the choice point, you know, uh, which is kind of this sort of spiritual thought process. And we finish actually the whole festival finishes on a documentary that we put out, um, about brother Anthony, the ambassador of God, who was a radio personality here in, in the Bay area for, for a long time. So mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it's really interesting. So, um, I think often happens at film festivals that there are sort of awards. Are you going to do that as well? Or is it just an honor to be accepted? <laughs> but definitely just an honor to be accepted. Um, but no, there, there, there will be there will be uh, an awards, three awards given. Um, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but but they're kind of the three or four, I believe uh, we decided on. And it's it's sort of kind of the best of the best. We're looking at everything holistically. Uh, again, I mean, this is the first year, right? So right. what 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 drives this going into the future is if people show up and, and how many people show up and, and the engagement that we get from from the audience out there, we've we've spent a lot of time, a lot of thought, going through a number of uh, of submissions and what we think is really a true diamond in the rough. And if we can share that with uh, with an audience out there and people really dig it, then then this is just going to grow year over year. And, and we definitely hope that that's that's the case. All right, and that is uh, starting Friday, September twenty fifth. Running through Sunday, uh, September 27th at the Blue Light Cinemas in uh, Cupertino. That's uh, uh, on Stevens Creek across the street from De Anza College. Uh, some of you old-timers in the area remember it as the Oaks. Uh, many, that's where I saw Escape from New York. 
Uh, so probably in that very cinema, theater one. And then 30 years later, Alien Tampon. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> full circle. It's full, full circle. circle. <laughs> Hopefully you kept your ticket sub for both. I don't think I did. Uh, so anyway, okay, we, we look forward to that. Uh, we wanted to talk. Uh, there was also recently... Uh, the 48 hour film festival. So the South Bay is really kind of turning into a hotbed of some interesting film work. 48 hour film festival. We want to just call out because on Sunday at camera 12, I believe. Yes. They had a screening of the uh, nominated films in that. The 48 hour film festival, which I think is a national movement is that basically groups of people get together. They draw, uh, out of a basket, a, a prop. They get a line of dialogue. They get uh, and a genre they have to work in. Isn't there a character too? And I think there may be a character. I've I've never attended the setup. Um, yeah. But then teams go off and they have forty hours to write, uh, cast, produce, and produce their film. Uh, so why we bring it up right now is that Jason Salazar and Drew Campbell, both frequent uh, contributors to the podcast. Uh, won uh, for best use of prop uh, for <laughs> oh they won four four awards yes but that's the one that they said really meant something yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, for a Stygian Outpost uh, their their sci fi short was their was their genre so uh, we want to th- uh, congratulate them on their on their win on September twentieth um, they also won for best writing they did get best writing and best editing w- which makes a lot of sense I Jason the is third a one. killer editor. Yeah. Uh, that would be uh, yeah, best use of the word outpost in a title, maybe. No, it was best use of prop, best writing, and best editing, and there was one other one, something else. Um, a surprisingly uh, limited use of the F word, I think, was probably it when my conversation with Drew last night. So anyway, uh, so there's a film festival there as well. That's that's as we move forward to Diamond in the Rough. And you can watch Stygian out, outpost, outpost on YouTube. At the Beyond Forever Studios page? Yes, Beyond Forever Beyond Forever Studios. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, Rob, we thank you for coming on. You're welcome to hang out and talk other geek stuff. You are also welcome to go off and and, and look at a snifter or brandy or something. I, I don't know what it is you do. Are you you're in your velvet I'm, bathrobe? I'm, very, I'm, I'm actually in my velvet bathrobe right now. I'm uh, smoking my tobacco pipe. And uh, I think I may tap out. I'm, I'm going to leave you guys, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to step on here. And and uh, and chat. I, I will leave you with one additional little bit that I think is is worth mentioning here, especially for the filmmakers in in the Bay Area, is that through the Cupertino Library Foundation on Saturday morning at 10:30 uh, a.m. at Blue Lights, the same the the same Venue. location that we're doing the uh, the film festival, we're actually bringing Scott McMahon uh, from from uh, FilmTrooper.com in. He's uh, a successful filmmaker, made this film called The Cube that you can go find online. And he's gonna. Give a, a little free. Um, I'm sorry. Did you say uh, the cube? The cube. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's this. It's this great film he made for five hundred dollars, all by himself with no crew. Hmm. And uh, he, he actually wrote a book about how he did it. And he went in and made. I a, have a heard of this. I haven't it. seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's going to be here. It's called How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's free. Uh, again, ten thirty. AM. If you go to our website, ditrfilms.com, so diamondtheroughfilms.com, you're going to be able to go uh, see not just the film festival, but also this uh, this great opportunity to hear uh, hear Scott speak and and maybe get some some really good insight to the to making and selling a film. Great. Thank you, Rob. Cool guys. Thanks Have so a much. Good night. Really appreciate it.
Right, once again, we thank uh, Robert Sean Campbell for talking about Diamond in the Rough Inter- uh, Independent Film Festival. And uh, during this time while we were talking to Rob, we lost Nate temporarily because he's got a young child to take care of. Uh, but this is a chance for Rick and I to talk about another local event coming up, which is Convolution, October, oh, doggone it, 4th through 6th? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Could not ruin Albert. Debbie picks me up at the airport and takes me right October there. October 2nd through 4th. There you uh, go. October 2nd through 4th uh, in Burlingame, California. And uh, it's uh, kind of a cool uh, thing. We've got, uh, you know, Frank and Brianna Wu, or Brianna and Frank Wu, I should say, uh, that are going to be there. Bonnie Burton is going to be there, who we've been on the podcast before, and she'll She's be on, be on the, the podcast, podcast with us again. So we just will be podcasting from there on Sunday afternoon, but we do want to kind of give a little. Uh, taste a little preview of what's going on with it because uh, Rick will be on a couple of panels. I'll be on an additional panel. I'm actually, I think I'm moderating a panel that Brianna's on. I think you are. I did see the schedule. Uh, so, I mean, we just to say that it's happening and that Rick is talking superhero movies. Yeah, they, it's a, it's a, they call it part two, but it was part one happened at Bacon. So I'm like, oh, okay. okay. Uh, but it's just like uh, what they got wrong in the movie kind of thing. Which, because it's just no pleasing some fans. There but, is just not no, just not no pleasing anyone. Have another. Oh, you did. Okay. I did. <laughs> uh, and then you have there's a Star Wars uh, one for you on Saturday afternoon too. Isn't yes. There? Yes. Uh, it's the it's the approach to to um, the Disney approach to Star Wars. Yeah. So. Uh, which, by the way, I get to say I did start reading Aftermath and. Uh, I'm with Drew Campbell a little bit, is that uh, the present the, tense is a little um, jarring. But I realize what it is, is the guy, uh, most of his credits are, are screenplays or an attempt to be. So it once I started going, it's like it's a screenplay, mode. it's yeah. his mode, it became a lot better. But but of the two things that I've started reading, uh, Shattered Empire, the comic, I liked uh, really well. Oh, yeah. I, I saw the direct tie-in with uh, The Force Awakens. I read the first uh, two chapters of... Um, uh, Aftermath. Aftermath, and it didn't strike me one way, but it didn't grab me. I haven't gone back to the book since then. I've I honestly haven't either. Other stuff. I I because I, I got... I uh, finally got all the way through Anno Dracula. Ah, uh, that's a good book. Uh, but anyway, and then on Sunday, uh, I will be doing uh, comics to television, which I realize is a fantastic uh, mm, yeah. year to have that conversation when I realize as, as I've been uh, working in Los Angeles for a week and I came back and there's my DVD set of uh, iZombie for, so I can finally uh, catch up on that and realizing, and we'll talk a little more on television tonight, but I mean, we're, we're so many superheroes. There's not enough time in the day. Just not or in the week right now. And you know the bad thing is, it used to be that when you'd go through the whole season, and even back to the days of VHS tapes, you could you could have some stuff banked to get you through the summer. But through the summer, there was a bunch of new stuff then too. They just aren't letting up at all. No. No. We just uh, had the last the new the f- first season of Doctor Who just started. I was like okay yeah yeah so anyway uh so we'll we'll be there as well and then we want to talk about yet another local event and it's in march uh here we go is that uh in march last year we were a little rocked by the local event big wow comic fest was announced like a week before that had been purchased by steve wozniak and slash maybe slash 
hmm, Stan Lee. Uh, Stan Lee was involved. He's not mentioned in this. In, in, I thought in, you were going to tell you, YouTube was involved. So in, their, in, their verse, in, in, in their first big announcement, uh, Stan Lee is not mentioned at all. It's all about Steve Wozniak. Yeah. But uh, they did make their first bold move. And, in fact, I don't think we've said it on the podcast, but we've had a lot of conversations with people in the Bay Area, like, going, you know, there's a big thing about Silicon Valley Comic Con, and then we haven't heard a thing. Yeah. Well, today we did, and I can't say – I can say uh, it's the best way they could have just, you know, exploded, hey, Silicon Valley is going to be the center of of the geek world. William Shatner will be celebrating Star Trek's 50th anniversary at the inaugural – well, to us it will always be continuation of Big Wow Comic Con – Comic Fest, but for those who didn't know it, it's the inaugural Silicon Valley Comic Con. So he will be there uh, in March 2016. They don't have March 18th through the 20th, and uh, it, it, this is he will be hosting a special 50th anniversary celebration alongside other stars from the acclaimed TV and film series. And they're going to tell us later this fall about this. So that could that could include. I'm going to let's make a guess. I'm going to guess that. They're just talking TOS, and it's Nichelle, mm-hmm. and maybe um, Koenig, maybe Koenig, and maybe um, oh my, the guy who played uh, George Takei, was Takei. the guy who played Riley Takei. I don't know that you're going to see them. Uh, and, and you know, and and actually, the, for a better reason than the usual, there's friction. George Takei's opening on Broadway. Oh, is he in Allegiance? Okay. So if that does well, I don't think he would Come take out. a weekend off to do this. Um, I mean, I would love it. I you know, but um, but aside from the alleged friction between the two of them, I don't think it needs to be, and I don't think it's going to be limited to the original series. I, I think Shatner has done a good job, especially with that uh, documentary, the captains, the captains yeah. of reaching out to the others. And I, you know, I, I think it's it's possible, but we don't know. But what we do know now is rates of what it's going to cost to yeah. get in. And so I do want to talk about that in just a moment, which is that adults. And actually, I kind of thought, well, this is considering how it's been. It's not that bad. Did you notice the one thing though? It says Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They give it three days. Friday is a preview. preview night. Yeah. So we're really talking about a two-day convention with a short evening preview. And I'm not sure because who knows at this point, but it's not like Comic-Con of a three-hour preview night where you've got all these exhibitors in years past. Yeah. But Silicon Valley Comic-Con could be different than Big Wow Comic Fest in terms of an exhibition floor that could be much bigger than we anticipated. Than could we, be. Than we, than we know. Uh, it's not a bad pricing for it. Adults for preview night is $25. It's not great, but it's not bad. $10 for kids. That's 12 and not, under. 12 yeah. and under, right. Saturday is $20 for kids, 12 and under. Saturday is $50 for adults. A three-day is $99, which... Sunday is also uh, the same price uh, as Yes, Saturday. right, right. Um, and three-day for kids is thirty nine ninety nine. Might as well call it 40 Right. But here there are limited quantities of VIP packages, and this is the way it's going. Yeah, I know. And that's, you know, because oh. we recently had Wizard World in San Jose. Um, I did not go. I... I you know, I didn't go either. I know a couple of, of friends did. Lon Lopez had a panel there yeah. and got his photo with some people. But, you know, I, I still, I just, I 
I totally get why celebrities. I was going to say I get that that celebrities should be able to make money off of their image. I really do. Right. It's still there's just something about it that sticks in my craw. One, because we remember when it wasn't that way. But I had somebody online say this, you know, that sports stars have been doing it for a yeah. long time. No, I, I, and one of the other things I, I realized is that is that like for autographs, people do it because charge because people turn around and they sell them on eBay. Right. So you might as well uh, get a little taste of that. I do. I do totally get that. But so there's a VIP package, limited quantity of two hundred fifty dollars, which gets you VIP entrance, whatever that means. I don't know yet. Priority panel entry that I get. Fast pass, photo op line, VIP lounge access. I like that they have a private That ATM. might be worth it. Uh, that, that part might be worth every it. Every 30 minutes, somebody walks by in a Venom suit and uh, puts a hand sanitizer all over the ATM. Uh, coat check and snacks. A private autograph signing in the VIP lounge with one of two special guests. It doesn't say who yet. Because other than Shatner, although, I mean, that would be one. That's Stan Lee. That might be. He was $100 at Big Wow yeah. two years ago, I think he appeared. Um, you know, and I would say, honestly. It's Stan Lee and Steve Wozniak. No, because of something special with Wozniak. Um, and Yeah, there's something. In, in, and, you know, so, and that's and the VIP Platinum is $500, and that's the VIP Pass Package plus a limited edition T-shirt, a line hopper pass, one ticket to the exclusive cocktail reception with Steve Wozniak. Right. Then there's the VIP Diamond Package, which is $890, which includes, oh, three nights stay at the Partner Hotel, the San, at a Partner Hotel, right. the San Jose Marriott, the Hilton San Jose, or the Hyatt Place, based on availability. Hotel, hotel uh, stay taxes and incidentals not included. With the Waz at the helm and with help from his many friends, Silicon Valley Comic Con, we unite America's two greatest superheroes, pop culture and technology. Hosted at the San Jose Convention Center, SVCC will feature Hollywood celebrities and technology leaders from movies, TV, and music, as well as consumer electronics, apps, gaming, and emerging innovations. And that could have some really interesting things. On a weekend, uh, you know, to get this announcement on a Monday after, and I apologize that I can't remember the name of it, but that uh, Sony announced their virtual reality system, which will be priced the same as a console. Yeah. And a rumor, I'm not going to, I mean, seriously, it's a rumor. Like I saw... A picture put up, but that there's a rogue squad, a Star Wars Rogue Squadron game that's allegedly going to go with that P- with that PlayStation virtual reality system. Uh, you know, gaming is about to take a whole new level again with uh, with with Silicon with Valley headsets. So it, it, it with with that in particular. Um, but it, when you talk about technology ma- matching the geek world, there it is. We know virtual reality is coming. We know that. Uh, Wozniak's probably got his access to the good stuff. And uh, so it will be interesting to see what happens there. I don't know if it's worth it to me to spend 900 bucks, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm slightly tempted at the $250 level because kind of that's... If it, was, if it was three solid days, then I'd be a little more likely to say, yeah. Yeah. But for two days, that's that's pushing it a little bit. But it might, you know, we say that because our experience is the convention it was before. Yeah. It may not be that convention. It may be something grander. It may be something more Wizard World, uh, not Wizard World, uh, WonderCon level. Yeah. Uh, which I'd love to see. Well, I 
my only experience with doing this was at Salt Lake City Fantasy Con, mm-hmm. where they had they had VIP badges and stuff. I guess they um they had seating down front at any of the mm-hmm. big events that was reserved for the VIP badges, and I didn't see any lines that you could hop or anything. The line hopper thing, yeah, okay, that's that's that makes sense, but. There better be amusement park rides if there's a line hopper pass. Yeah. If I'm paying, I better get into something really, really, really cool. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you go, okay, so are they going to put you in like the first three rows? And so you're all the way over to the left, right? So if I was in the fourth row center, would that be a better seat not being in one of those prime spots than it would be all the way over to the left kind of thing? So it's kind of like, I don't know if it pays off. Well, I don't even know what the si- what a panel would look like, you know, because my experience going to, again big wow those panels were uh i the last time i attended panels yeah were uh when it was still in the blue tent and so you and big, know, I've, I've atten- i attended some big wow and they were pretty much the same as comic-con but i the ones that were at uh at fantasy con they were more arena style things and so mm-hmm. there were there were you know four or five thousand people in the room yeah so we'll so. you know we will see what it is um it would be intriguing to have a conversation with Wozniak. Um, I would not say that I could say we have any inside track to do it. I just wish I could. You know, um, we'll float it out. I was one of the local podcasts and, and one of the really local geek centric uh, organizations. They, they might be willing to have some kind of some kind of conversation that it wouldn't be as. You know, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. We'll look into it. He did lap me at a charity run once, so you know maybe I can you know leverage that into something. I have a signed copy of his joke book. Oh God! You know I do remember calling Dial a joke, and I it was years later before I realized that was him. So you know we we shall see. Uh, Nate, are you back? Yes, I am. All right, let's get into comics, shall we? Um, we just talked about conventions, and that's very exciting and very good. Uh, but I do want to talk about comics because I think a very long overdue uh, event happened this week, and we still don't quite know all the ramifications of it in comics. Uh, but uh, speaking of WonderCon, two WonderCons ago, we had an article up uh, when they'd done a Batman panel. Don't forget this Saturday is Batman Day as well, mm. by the way. Mm. Talk like a Batman. All right. So No, uh, no, no. It's Talk Like a Batman Day. No, I understand. Saturday. I'm just previewing it. All right. Anyway, uh, that uh, with Saturday, talking about I would have thought you'd been more Adam West. It's just easier to do that. I guess so. <laughs> I could talk like a Batman. Uh, but uh, the uh, two Wondercons ago, they did a Batman panel with Kevin Smith, and, and somebody asked a question about Bill Finger. And DC representative said, oh, we're good with Bill Finger's family. And that's when his daughter, or his granddaughter, uh, released a press release that said, no, we're not good with Bill Finger. So if you don't know who we're talking about, and I realize this is the this is the great tragedy. I'm reading Marvel Comics, The Untold Story right now, and again, I feel a lot of, a lot more sympathy for a younger Stan Lee than I than I think a lot of people give it afford him credit. But just how rampantly horrible comics really were <laughs> uh, in the forties, fifties, sixties as a profession. Bill Finger is the guy who, at the age of 19 or 20, was friends with this guy, Bob Kane, who came to him with a drawing, and let's be honest, a crude drawing, of a guy with bat wings, 
in a red suit and a domino mask and said, this is my new character because this comic book, this publishing company wants something to imitate Superman. And Bill Finger is the guy who basically really, truly created, let's say Bob Kane by contractual obligation is credited as the sole creator of Batman. But I think here's DC's way around it. Bill Finger is the guy who created everything that made Batman cool. Yeah. And he died penniless and barely eking out a living. And so every year at Comic-Con, at the Eisner Awards, they hand out the Bill Finger uh, Award for writing excellent at the Eisners. I've always found it kind of odd that it's, or kind of giggly funny, that it's the essentially the Finger Award. For those people who were given the finger by the industry, they give it to one person who is no longer living to acknowledge their unsung contributions to comics and then to someone who uh, is still alive so that they can appreciate getting the award and, and recognizing their excellence. Warner Brothers announced this weekend, or DC announced this weekend, that they have reached some sort of a rapprochement with Bill Finger's estate and that starting later this season on Gotham and on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, Bill Finger will be credited for his contributions to Batman. Mm-hmm. We do not know if that means that there is some kind of financial situation. His granddaughter is like a high school science teacher who knew him barely, uh, you know, because he he passed away, I think, a good 25 or 30 years ago. Um, but this has sort of been her crusade for the last couple of years of getting recognition. There's a, there's a book uh, about Bill Finger, The Boy Who Created Batman, I think is what it's called. Uh, I will find that link and we'll create we'll put that up uh bob kane before he died even admitted that he had he felt badly not badly enough to change the terms of his contract while he was still alive right but the kane estate still holds that you know bob kane is credited as but he really he did repudiate that stance before he died but not in a legal way unfortunately so um you know this is long overdue we'll see how the repercussions go on this but i admit you know it, it, it it's the thing that I don't know how much money gets through to Kirby's estate or Simon's estate or even Stan Lee's estate with Marvel movies, but it does give me a thrill when you see like a Thor movie or an Avengers movie and Walt Simonson gets credit and then there's the slightest chance and Bendis gets credit and, and Hickman gets credit and there's the slightest chance that the people who have never picked up a comic book might realize might that somebody yeah. created this, that someone thought of this and they they've affected the culture so deeply and i think as much as i love spider-man as i mean because i diane nelson like announced how much dc comics licensing brings in i believe it was something around seven billion this week uh you know across the whole across the whole spectrum right but you know let's talk about it five billion of that is batman (laughs) so um when you think about cultural impact you know spider-man's big uh, and the rest of Marvel because the movies is big right now but the but the characters that are known all around the world are Superman and Batman their movies might not be great their TV shows might not be as great but their mythology their but mythology, their myth, is their their mythology. Yeah. and they and we often credit because he's still alive to take the credit uh, Stan Lee is the modern Homer but really Bill uh, Bill Finger's more the modern Homer because we don't know who Homer was most people don't really know if, if that guy even existed, Bill Finger did, but nobody knew who he was when he was alive. Yeah, and 
you know, Stan Lee, and I, I don't begrudge. I know people get upset about that, but, but it's like I don't begrudge Stan Lee a bit of this because he was there to be the personality, like Walt Disney, to take that, take that, that. Uh, so is Lee the that, modern Shakespeare? No, no, he'd, he'd so? like it. No, but I think Stan Lee is the closest to who picked up the mantle of Walt Disney. Hmm. Um, except that I don't think he's quite the story, truly the storyteller, because the best story that Stan Lee tells about tells is the one he tells about himself. And, you know, he's built the, the best myth that he tells is himself. The more you read, the more you research, it's like, you know, he and Kirby needed each other, but Kirby was really the driving force on a lot of things that, that uh, it's kind of clear because we still bought a lot more Kirby stuff after Kirby left, uh, broke up the partnership that we bought Stan Lee stuff after, after the partnership. Broke oh yeah. Up. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, I'm very excited to, that that happened this week. Uh, Boom Comics Studios is reprinting one of my favorite uh, comics from the 90s, which is uh, Evan Dorkin's uh, Bill and Ted comics, continuations of uh, the Bogus Journey uh, in, in, a, in a deluxe hardcover edition. So uh, totally worth it. They were originally published by Marvel, and Boom did reprint them, but just to have a nice hardcover, because I like having all of Dorkin's stuff. Of really anarchic, wild, even, you know, I don't know. I realize that Bill and Ted is, I don't want to say an acquired taste. It's not for everyone. I understand it. But it's its its good juvenile fun. But when Dorkin added in there, there's something very interesting and, and super intelligent. Although, really, Bill and Ted are far more, for a complete numbskull movie that satirizes an Ingmar Bergman film uh, you have to say there was a level going on there that most people don't give it credit for sure so sure. and and Dorkin's work totally credit that so I'm I, that's just a kind of on my Christmas list but you uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast we talked about the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, website with their web comics right because we discovered uh, we'd known we talked a couple times uh, talking about cultural impact Tarzan John Carter uh, so forth uh, was that the mucker um, the mucker <laughs> yeah don't diss the mucker that was a good set of books I had his jelly uh, oh that's mucker I'm sorry yes. uh, so anyway uh, but you've explored the website now and uh, read some of the strips well, I subscribed doing. you subscribed and there's uh, Roy Thomas talking about a, a classic creator still working Just still an vibrant amazing set of, uh, of of creators involved there with Roy Thomas and Papa Marcos and um, I, I you just go down the list but all I want to say about it is it's like two fifty a month to two dollars and fifty two dollars and fifty cents a month it's like twenty one dollars if you go for the full year um and the format of these things is the old style Sunday comics with like two rows maybe some less maybe some full panel things. Uh, the Hal Foster, the 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 Dick Tracy. Well, who did the Tarzan style. one originally? Was it Bern Hogarth? Bern Hogarth was the was he the first Tarzan artist, or did Alex Raymond do some of? I don't know. I don't know. There was uh, Dark Dark Horse did a huge oversized. But book I do associate. I mean, that be one, as it may, I associate Tarzan with the Sunday strip more than anything else. Right. I don't know why. Right. But they're all done that way. Yeah. And so I was going through and I was reading. One of my favorite ones is uh, is called uh, It's the Lost Continent. Okay. And the original title is Beyond 30 because it has to do with the latitude and longitude where Europe starts. And yeah. it's America. Uh, some Americans are going to Europe where everything's falling apart. You know, Europe is in a state of entire disarray. 
and has been out of communication is actually forbidden for anyone to go there. This whole set of adventures there. But you've also got um, Tarzan. You've got the classic Tarzan, the telling of the original story, and then you've got new Tarzan adventures. You've got Korak, son of Tarzan, which, you know, you kind of go, well, son of Tarzan, it's just like more Tarzan stories. No, it's not. Korak is an entirely different character, and a large part of the Korak stuff deals with, like, the World War Two, yeah, and uh, <coughs> so I mean, this is this is a pretty incredible value, and it's I didn't see one of them that didn't have splendid art that I wasn't. How often do they to update? Read. I mean, because weekly, it is weekly, All weekly, right. and they've done they've got about a dozen different stories going. Like John Carter of Mars is up there, uh, the uh, Carson of Venus stuff, Pellucidar, uh, the. Out of Time's Abyss, the uh, that one's got a weird name for the series. Uh, just, just uh, a wonderful set of, and for 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 half of what you would pay for a modern comic book, you can just sit there and read this stuff for hours, and you can just you know subscribe to it for a little while, read it all, catch up, and then stop, and then come back a little bit later and catch up again because it's all archived there and it's real we'll do like an annual uh, and it ke- <laughs> the site keeps track of where you've been in any one of these stories so you can just say pick me up where I was last time I was reading this and it'll go right to the strip oh, that cool. you were you're last on alright well I'm glad they're doing that right and keeping uh, ERB's <coughs> legacy alive we'll now turn to that portion of uh, the podcast which uh, is a, it's not a game but it's uh, it's, it's an important we play thing. it anyway it's a segment it's a segment I can't can't announce it because it'll be too loud. Okay. We're going to play What's in the Bag. And What's in the Bag is where we go over the purchases we've made in the last week, and we pick three highlights, uh, things that we want to recommend, or perhaps steer you away from. We don't do that too often. No. But we might. So, go ahead. Nate, what would be uh, the first item up for you this week? The first item in my bag is... um what number was it? Big Trouble in Little China number 16, which I haven't actually read, but I just read the first Fred Van Linty uh, issue. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. So I'm hoping that uh, his version of the story is yeah. fantastic. Cool. Have, are you guys still reading it? I've still, I'm way behind. Yeah, I'm way behind. I, I know I, I have sex. I think I, it got to the point of. Uh, that I, I reached a moment of I will just buy the trades and enjoy it all in, in, in big lump sums. And I'll keep so track of it better that way. The John Carpenter slash Eric Powell storyline ends, and instead of ending the comic, they continue it. Well, I hope it's doing well for them. And it's actually pretty funny, and I just got a text that I need to go back in the room. So that may be my only bag entry, but I will be back. All right, thanks. All right, Rick, next up for you. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, the latest issue of Dark Horse Presents. I, I almost picked that up just so we could talk about it, and then I realized, why am I going to do that? Because, of course, Rick's going to pick that up. Because this is uh, – I've, I've hit this magazine any number of times in What's in the Bag because this as an this is – I don't know if there are any, are any other anthology books out now. Warren, they keep on doing the eerie and creepy ones, but those are so irregular that they might not as well be happening. But Dark Horse has been putting this out for any number of years. Can you think of another anthology book out right now? There are sporadic. I mean, you know, like Marvel will do an anthology book where they tie it into an event. 
you know. Oh yeah, yeah. But I would, but, but I, I, I don't know that's count di- that. But, yeah. but that's that's different. These are these are unrelated stories, stories yeah. by different creators Set in different universes. Yeah. They're just but the way the, it used to be. But this this is um, I had heard about this oddly enough at DocCon last year at the Doc Savage convention. Mm-hmm. That this was coming. Um, Stephen Grant and Paul Glacy are picking up uh, a story from, I believe it was Erie, um, called The Rook, which is basically... Didn't he have his own magazine from one? He, he was originally in um, in one of the two those two anthology books, and then he did okay. get his own book. Yeah, I thought I remembered seeing that on It's the never been collected. There are a couple of websites... Uh, that you can find that have the have the pages all scanned in, and you can read through the read through some the of stories. That, yeah, um, but he's basically a time traveler, and he's kind of he's very much a Doctor Who style time traveler because he has he's called the Rook, and his his time machine is shaped like a Rook chess piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, the castle that always struck me as a kid, yeah. and um, I always loved that. And here we are, here we have the. Uh, the first um, time, a time time traveling gunslinging monster fighter, the Rook. Um, really, really I cool. Be, I wouldn't be surprised if now that it's coming up in Dark Horse Presents that they would finally be the ones. To I collect. hope somebody collects it because, because it I really think Dark is Horse has all of. I think they have. A, they're in an agreement with Warren. I shouldn't say they have the rights to it all, but I think they they've a very done good a couple. Re- they did. They did. Um, the mutant monster hunter. I can't remember. What, uh, but the hunter, point is, hunter. They have. They have. They've done collections. They have a good relationship with whoever owns the Warren rights. Yes. Um, so, which I think is actually oddly enough, Submarine Pictures or the or the parent ah. company of the ones, the the documentary company that did um, uh, Back Kid Begins. Oh, okay. That that produced it. They did not the you know right right with the production arm, but again. Uh, I love Paul Glacey, and this just looks. This yeah. just smacks of all those master of kung fu. Well, and I love Stephen Grant. I mean, he's yeah. a great, great oh, yeah. writer, great guy. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just thrilled to see these guys all working. So uh, on mine, um, actually, I'm gonna go, uh, I'll go a little classic too. Uh, it's not in my bag because I, I picked up some things last week. Uh, then when I was down in Los Angeles, and I just want to talk first is e- Evil Dead Two, Dead by Dawn, the big deluxe edition that came out on that um i picked up because i thought well okay i know there's no way i had that held for me and i'm getting very excited for uh for ash versus evil dead on halloween in uh, on stars in uh, you know there the continuation of the evil dead films and when we and when i had talked to all those people i knew that that's going to be a continuation of they have the rights to evil dead too so i thought well i'll try the comic and it's from a, also a publisher I'd know, uh, that we have not talked about before, a relatively new one called Space Goat Comics. And uh, they are definitely pushing themselves around the Evil Dead 2 universe. And then I realized after I purchased it, that's the weird thing. It's like Army of Darkness is actually over at Dynamite right now. And because the rights, even though Ash appears in both, the rights to Evil Dead 2 are owned by one company. And the rights to Army of Darkness are owned by another and I don't think either of those are actually owned by by the Raimi brothers. So oh. knowing that they're referencing back to Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, in Ash vs. Evil Dead, again, thought it was a continuation. 
And it's really not. And in fact, I felt that it was a story that assumed you had been reading their books before and there really aren't any. It was competently written and, and drawn, but it was also a little bit confusing. And I know that it already directly contradicts information in the show. So if you are just a really diehard Evil Dead fan, you probably already picked up this book. If you're intrigued because it has Bruce Campbell on the cover, a photo cover, it's not enough. It's not It's not a horrible book, but it's not what I had hoped it was going to be. So, got there. Nate? No, he's still parenting. Still long. All right, so next up for you. Next one up for me is, again, uh, I've, I, I think I've, I've spotlighted uh, this character and this this series a lot, um, and ironically, this week I picked up two things uh, highlighting Agent Carter. First off, uh, the Blu-ray collection of the TV series came out, um, so looking forward to reinvesting there. There's a it says the bonus is the bloopers, so that should be fun. If it's not the dub smash videos, I don't think we want them. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, although I would seen say, the I should say disappoint. Oh, the only disappointment with it. I mean, I love the series, but but that they didn't include, even though it's been on other fil- uh, other uh, another Blu-ray, Discs. the uh, the Agent yeah. Carter short film. They right, did. right. Um, so, but what I picked up in comics this week is again in the Fifty Years of Shield, which I think the last couple of weeks I've had one of these in each one of my bags. Um, yeah, I think you have. Agent Carter number one, uh, which it doesn't say one shot on this one on the cover, which I think the other ones did. I have. I think it is. I, I suspect it is as well. Um, there has been, unless they're rebooting the Agent Carter character now, because it doesn't say it on the inside either. Um, let me look at the back. And here we go. Uh... doesn't say okay but this takes place in 1966 Mm -hmm. which is what i love about this character and what i was i've said before is agent carter is the marvel universe from because she unlike steve rogers she did not go to sleep for for 40 years right and she's been around since 1940 you know since world war ii is she still alive in continuity i can't remember she died in winter soldier i think okay um the uh, pretty sure that she died in Winter Soldier, um, but she this is 1966, so she is with the Nick Fury from 1966 in this, and even with a certain Norse god who gets her own TV series, um, but not as Norse god. No, don't confuse people. I won't do that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to get an air horn every time you try to be coy, and I'm just going to blow your system. Sif. Sif okay, yes. is is uh, in this as no, well. No, Airhorn. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Sif. Einhorn. Einhorn. So, again, Agent Carter, one of my favorite Marvel characters, both on the screen and in the books. And this this is this just flipping through it, there's a lot of mm-hmm. slam-bang action going on well, in this book. All right, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to be as eclectic as possible this this week. Are you? Um, although it's all, uh, the, the first two are horror-based. Uh, which is that this is, this week was the annual Simpsons Treehouse of Horror uh, comic. Just in time it, for Halloween. Uh, I can't believe it's like already, you know. I mean, I know it's not because it's only September 21st, but yeah. 
somehow the Halloween decorations are going to be my surprise. But I do always look forward to this, and it is the only... As much as I enjoy Bongo Comics and The Simpsons, it's the, it's really my only annual Simpsons indulgence. And uh, this one features, uh, let's see, the parody a parody of Gremlins, uh, kind of a weird Planet of the Apes combined with uh, The Leftovers, uh, the HBO series parody. Yeah. So I call that a, a brilliant mashup that uh, we wouldn't have expected. And then I call attention because he's mocking one of my favorite, but um, two people, two creators that I that I really like as people, Matt and Lash, of course, who did uh, Wolf and Bird, Counselors of the, of right, the Macabre, right, right. Uh, wrote Springfieldopolis, so the Metropolis, the 1926 German expressionist sci-fi film uh, with Marge as Maria. And uh, so he did the. Layouts. You have to be a little less obscure. It's it's the C three PO. Uh, the you know it, you know the image. Uh, it, 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 wasn't there a, there was an Elseworlds? I think Roy Thomas did Superman in in the German expression Metropolis, Metropolis format. Uh, anyway, uh, and Derek Friedolf, who does Little Gotham, uh, which stopped, but then actually apparently uh, I just just read that. Uh, Derek Friedolfs uh, is going to be working on uh, kids' books set in uh, with sort of like a, a little Gotham-ish uh, DC universe. So not not kids' comic books, but they're doing illustrated chapter books for young readers. So, which I think is something that's long overdue, and I've always felt that for Marvel, they've made a huge, or I should say, missed a huge boat by not like taking their Franklin Richards Son of a Genius. Mm-hmm. And turning them and into kids' storybooks, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, I love the comics, but but the storybooks are gonna you know get it. So right. anyway, uh, it's a actually a pretty good um, parody of uh, of Metropolis, and uh, it's it's clever. And I always enjoy Treehouse of Horror anyway, so I love that that it shows up in my box once a year. Oh, hey, I didn't ask that for that. I to think be cool. they missed the mark by making it full color though, and not doing like the uh, black, black and you know, white kind of a chiaroscuro, yeah. yeah. Um, I won't complain about it though, yeah. you know, because the truth of the matter is that the kind of, that some people they see it black and white. I mean, I still fight that with my son, and he's he's kind of sing, coming around to it. Is you see black and white, and he goes, "I'm going to skip over." But it's that not story. black and white; it's like black I and know. yellow, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would have been funny. Brown and yellow. Yeah. girl would have made sense. But anyway, it's a it's a it's a really well done story. And actually, we I said the precursor to C3PO, but uh, there is there is an appearance by Homer right. C3PO in there as well. So. Uh, Always fun to get back to. So, next for you? The last one I have is Death Vigil number 8. I'm so pleased this book has hung around. Again, uh, this is uh, Stephan S-T-I-E-P-H-N. Stefan. Stejic. I just don't want to... I know we're mangling his name. S-E-J-I-C. S-E-J-I-C. And there's... Yeah, I've seen more accents and stuff over the characters before. I don't know. Um, but Death Vigil, which has um, some of the coolest mythology around a group of what are essentially ghosts fighting powers from outside the yeah. universe. And art is beautiful. The dialogue's wonderful. Oh, the I, character development is, is wonderful. I, I I was really impressed with the first. I mean, we... we, we Featured it once, like a year, I guess, would right when the first issue came out because uh, your son wanted it. Yeah, and then on his recommendation, 
was I'd say recommendations to me from your son are so rare. Yeah, that I was like, okay, I'm just gonna check this out if he cared to tell me uh, that. Uh, I picked up that first issue and went, okay, I'm going to get the trade because it, it was just like I loved that first issue and I still haven't unf- – because I'm so behind on all the comics I want to read. Yeah. I haven't gone back and gotten the trade of the first six issues, but it's definitely on my list of every time I go to the store going, when a new issue of that comes out, I think I got to get that trade because I it was beautifully drawn. I loved, I loved the take. I loved the approach to death. And they ease and, you into the whole the mythology and all the characters and what's going on in the back history, just masterfully written story. And last in my bag this week, and I, I did not bring it with me to the table tonight, but I picked up. It's an older book, but I had but I had made a promise to myself because years ago on the car cast it was recommended to me, and I finally uh, and I swore that I would only buy it from Earth Two Comics. And I was in there last week, and they had it, and I'm hiding the title because, of course, in the meantime, when I could have read it. I could have been a hipster. I could have read this book before it got cool. Or better yet, I could have read this book before the adaptation won a Tony last year Oh yeah, for Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Yeah. So I finally picked up a copy of, of Fun Home, which now has sort of the Broadway tie-in of edition. Yeah. Well, of course it does. But that's not cool. You need to get the one that has it before. Right? No, I, I'm fine with this because <laughs> – I just think it is amazing that you could have an off-Broadway musical about uh, a young woman dealing with her sexuality and dealing with her father who is dealing with his sexuality, and it's based on an independent comic book, yeah. an independent graphic novel, and uh, you know that that's a source. Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, is a bomb, but... But Fun Home, the adaptation of that graphic novel, is a Broadway smash. And you saw the the Tony Awards where they had the scenes from it? I actually did not. Uh, oh, but, the, the but girl I who I've, plays I've, I've her as a young girl I've heard some. Of, I've heard some of the songs on the Sirius channel and just it thought it's great music. But I needed to go back to that source. And again, I was just kicking myself because, like I said, years ago, maybe three or four years ago on a car cast – we used to have this feature where it was Susan's recommendation when she would only read like one book a year. But, yeah. But now that she does more of of the business side of things, she reads a lot more. Um, you know. But that was like one of her first recommendations to me was you got to read Fun Home, and I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Yeah. That's really indie. Do they fight crime? Do lasers shoot out of her eyes? No. no. Then I'm not interested. And I more fool I. So uh, you know, I'm just. Uh, just really, I finally got a copy of it. There's actually, uh, it's like, isn't there two volumes or maybe three? Uh, it's one volume of Fun Home. She's got many other strips. Uh, she's got many other books, but it, it's that it, it is a one volume. Okay, but the other ones are autobiographical as yes. well. Yes. yes, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, um, and of course, if you've ever heard that phrase in the media, the Bechdel test, right? When it, that is based on her. She had that ah, conversation, okay. and so she has a cultural. That's the test as to uh, how many times women. If a film, it's not how many times you pass the Bechdel test. If they have a conversation without talking about a man, right? Yeah. So, um, in a in a script, and so uh, which I guess apparently Avengers: Age of Ultron failed the Bechdel test. I saw many postings to that uh, effect. So uh, let's let's go to movies here. Um, we we do want to, there was a big flurry again. The rumor that will not die about star wars and the only reason and you and i had a i think a very healthy back and forth yesterday about the veracity of this rumor because it still kept coming from the same the first source right 
was the same site that had started the rumor a year ago, but an updated article, and then you found the video. John Landis, of all people, uh, was at a film festival uh, or some kind of event. He was on a panel talking in front of an audience. And he said he'd had a conversation with George Lucas, and George told him that Disney was going to re-release the original trilogy. And, uh, and we mean the Star Wars trilogy. Now, a year ago, so this was first tweeted out by Empire, but the, but the first site to actually write an article about it was comicbook.com, which about a year ago had said, oh, they're going to release the original. And when we're talking the original, we don't mean, yes, in October, there's going to be the Steelbook Blu-ray, and there's going to be that of the digital, how did, how did they call that? Digitally remastered, digitally revamped to some of us, the digitally screwed up, well, they added scenes, too. Versions of 4, 5, 6. Scenes that, quite honestly... You it's know, that really awkward scene where Han steps on... Oh, I was going to say, especially in A New Hope, yeah. the other reason why that scene, not just because it's awkward that he steps on, on Jabba's tail... It's awkwardly done. And the, and the, well, because he didn't have a tail in the original. Yeah. It was a guy. We have our Star Wars, our copy of Star Wars right. number 3, right. uh, or, or number 2, where he, he looks more like the walrus man. But the the thing is, it's also like almost all the dialogue between them is ex- is almost identical to the exchange that's been on Greedo. It's like mm-hmm. that fails. Talk about the Bechdel test. Fails basic screenwriting number one, you right. know, lesson number right, right. one. You don't need to say the same thing over and over, and you do. Uh, but but Lucas really wanted to have Jabba in it. Uh, but the ca- problem was when they shot that scene, they didn't have Jabba as an alien. No. He was just a big fat guy. Yeah, and so they digitized Java into the scene. It, yeah, let's, let's let's not rehash the nightmare. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, that's why it's awful. Yeah. Uh, so we this rumor came up they're going to re-release the originals, uh, the original versions that are pre-digital, the theatrical release. Well, but no, because those digitals were theatrical releases as well. Well, the original theatrical releases. Yeah. Um, and so John Landis says that somehow Lucas told him in a conversation offhand. So here's what I want to say about the rumor if you heard about it is, again, I speak from a position of no one could want those originals more than the people listening to this podcast right now and the people at this table recording this podcast right mm-hmm. now. I encompass all of you who remember that first release and uh, and the wonder, and I've been working on a project where I've been sort of looking at some of the techniques behind it and going, it's a shame people don't see, can't see it. Because ironically, A New Hope has been selected for Library of Con- Congress Film Preservation, uh-huh. but Lucas wants one of the digital redo to be, you know, so the Library of Congress might have that original matte painting and miniatures shot version, but they won't, but no one can ever see it. And which is just to me like really irritating. So I, I come from the position of, I want it as badly as everyone else. I want it as badly as Kevin Rubio, who's been on the podcast and keeps posting that article. I want that as badly as, as anybody I know who has anything to do with it. Um, but the but until we actually hear it from Disney, there are so many obstacles. It's just a rumor. It's just a rumor. And the reality and the other thing is, Fox still owns the rights to if if they they if it could be released, Fox still owns the rights to it. Even when you say those Blu-rays are coming out from Disney, they're Disney and Fox together. There was a whole heck of a lot of lawyers sitting down in a room negotiating to get the digital editions or the remastered editions or whatever you want to call them. 
the versions my children have seen. I want them to see the original. You know, um, they're they're you know. I we're, can loan you my laser discs. <laughs> if I could find, if I could make my laser disc player work again, I've got my laser disc player in the garage too. I, I have mine too. It's got, it's got like I've got five laser discs in the player in a box left. I've got about forty laser discs uh, yeah. left. But anyway, you know, and and actually, it struck me this uh, just today, oddly enough, thinking about Star Wars and the Force Awakens. Going, my son is going to be almost exactly oh. the same age I was seeing Force oh Awakens. My God. When Star Wars, before it was even called A New Hope, opens, this so, means something. I, I know, it, I know, I know. You know, so I, it is this, it is this franchise that's bringing me this hype of like, you know, I, I, I think I'm giving into it. And it is kind of a weird thing because I was listening to someone talking about the fact that you can't show a kid the Star Wars original trilogy and have it have the same effect on them any, anymore because they already heard it you know it, when they were too young to see it they had already heard all the things about oh, yeah. what's going on so they don't get the same kind of shock and awe of discovery of the uh, of the storyline of of the effects of, and, well, and, we, and, we, and i think that i think that i i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not trying to crush the the father-son bonding moment but I'm I'm wondering how much a kid is going going to accept or or look at it and go, well, it's kind of fuzzy, and there's some things where I can see oh, through. Oh no, no, no. And stuff. I, I already I, I do. And they're not going to say that that's that's a better experience. No, no, no. I well, I, one, I can't believe you're the one saying that because you're because you usually reverse uh, or the other side it is. Uh, it, I just it, want it for me. I'm. Selfish, I know. Man. I know. Right. Okay. Well, then I believe it now. Suddenly, okay, you think thank it you. all clicked into place. Yeah. Um, but no, I understand. I I do understand that, and that's usually the argument that I take. Is there is no point, but I still want to give them the try. It's like making my kids watch, and I admit I made them watch Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, that there's this movie that totally captivated me, and some of the films that I have made them sit through, they've been tolerant for and gone. But you know, the ones that that have the effect are kind of the cultish things that didn't depend on effects in the first place. Yeah, the little you know, like my daughter, I can remember not she was so annoyed with me for making her watch Strictly Ballroom, and then she loved that. Uh, when she was very young, we watched The Adventures of Robin Hood, the, the oh, Earl yeah. Flynn, and she loved that. Oh sure, she might deny that now, but she did love that then. It was like it was so sweeping, and they weren't movies that depended on the effects. So I, th- you know, but you're right. My kids have already seen the redone version, and that and, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I'm more. I'm not looking back to it for like, oh, that's the father-son bonding. I was just realizing that the Force Awakens is the father-son bonding. No, I, I think there are some guys out there who are just trying to do this kind of boys from Brazil thing with their children. Like, oh no, they're not going to see anything until that comes out early on, until they're old enough to watch it. And no, I mean, in hindsight, I wish I had done what you know. I, I believe you know Sal said it, and Brad Meltzer has done the same thing of like show show a new hope. And then your son, your kids can't watch the Empire Strikes Back for six months. Yeah. Like, to get that sense of we had to wait. We had to wait. And you had a lot longer than that. Well, okay, three years. But still. Um, You know, but but as far as the hype affecting my son, you know, of, uh, of giving over is he asked me to finish Aftermath as quickly as I could. Because he wants to read the novel, he wants to know how okay. these things connect. And he read Shattered Empire, and I don't know if he quite, uh, you know, we 
when we last met to record, we talked. Shadowed Empire just came out, and I know right. Nate had read it. Uh, and then when I read it, realized it's probably the most overtly direct con- connection to the Force Awakens in terms of you see where the character connects. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not spoiling anything. It's just sort of like like the when if you've read the comic by the time Force Awakens comes out, you go, oh, I know. You know, yeah, you're I doubt bit. those characters will appear. In Force Awakens, but you'll know that connection to be the fir- first generational right, right, right. Uh, bond. So, uh, you know, anyway, it's almost like what they did when they went and backfilled the story with Shadows of the Empire between. Um, yeah, well, Shadows of the Empire. You mean the the uh, the video the game multimedia one? one? Yeah, that wasn't a movie, but it was everything else. But yes, but then but the difference there was that they were you know that was a cash grab. Uh, it was a good one. I it enjoyed Shadows of the Empire because it. I think one of the best characters out of the expanded universe she's came were. out of there. She's absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the Black Sun organization was, and a, they reused was that race too. Was a, a great times. was a great idea. Just yeah. as I I think Thrawn. The reality is in the expanded universe, the villains have been fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I I mourn their loss. Uh, so. Anyway, that that's that. Uh, in in other movies from our childhood that are trying to recapture imagination, it was announced this week that Ernie Hudson is going to make an appearance in Ghostbusters, which means Bill Murray will be in it, Dan Aykroyd will be in it, and and, uh, and Ernie Hudson, and that is great. Uh, so I'm still and what they're not clear on, or what they well, I shouldn't say what they're what they're not clear on. What hasn't been clear is is it. A reboot, or is it set in the same universe? And are they aware? Because we of know the, Bill Murray is not playing. He's not playing uh, his character he, from. He wasn't Egon. He was. He was Peter uh, Venkman. Peter Venkman. 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 Peter Venkman. Um, I know he's not. And he doesn't have to because he's also he looks different enough as an older sure. man. Uh, that's playing fine. a zombie. Or they could probably make some comment about how he resembles Venkman or something. If Ackroyd is playing his original character, and if. If Ray. Ernie, if Ernie is Winston Zetamore, I you know I'm gonna love it, but uh, I don't know that it's the same. It's supposed to be set in the same continuity or not. Yeah, but part of me would really like it if it is. But on the other hand, it's again let it go. That was the past. Yeah, you know. So we shall see there. I think the big news for us this week it, it turns to television. So I want to turn to TV a little bit. Um, Although I should say one thing we know about Star Wars that just came out this weekend as well, and I believe this officially came from Disney, and so I, I feel much more comfortable with this, is that Episode Eight, uh, Billy D. Williams will appear as Lando. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Which Did you um, see the rumor that Hayden Christensen might be in it? I saw that rumor. And I would like to pretend I didn't. Uh, you know, although, actually, here's here's the thing that makes sense. There's been this concept going around, and, and I, I'd seen it a couple of years ago, but it's really picked up steam again in the circles that I kind of, who post links and so forth, about this, uh, I'm going to mangle what it's called, ring structure, because I say ring cycle, it's not, it's not a Wagnerian opera, but there's a thing called ring structure in trilogies that basically, that um, that each trilogy echoes the one that came before it. And, you know, so you say Phantom Menace uh, echoing A New Hope by being on a desert planet. And we already know that a lot of action, because I saw the best playset for Force Awakens this weekend, uh, for uh, that a lot of the action is going to be on the desert planet of Jakku. 
And uh, is this chiastic structure? That might be chiastic. Yeah, because I, I didn't want to say chiasma, but I, which is a, a, a chiastic, a, which is a is a, the the Old Testament yeah. uses a lot. It's a it's a big Hebraic um, uh, narrative device. And, and realizing that they kind of echo through, so it would make sense that episode eight would have Lando when he was in episode five. Like he shouldn't, you know, if they're really trying to follow quite literally that, that he wouldn't have made sense to be in in seven because he wasn't in four. And and realizing, and I thought about this, and I was like, that's why you have Django Fett in episode two and not in one because Boba did, Fett didn't appear till five. So right. it's kind of like these characters have to echo in that way. And I should say the place that I saw was this awesome little suitcase that you opened up and it had the moon sand stuff. Oh, yeah. Jack yeah. play set. And then they had the little figures and the, the uh, starfighter, the wreck starfighter. And then so kids could recreate the scene and play with the little figures. And I thought, that's a clever little suitcase that they've got there. I like those. Um, anyway, uh, so... I'm happy, most of all, that Billy D. Williams is getting to be in it and then had that moment of the 77-year-old actor. I was like, oh, my God, these guys are (laughs) that old. It's really like – but I had that moment at D23 when Bob Iger said, you know, it was almost 40 years ago. And I just went, oh, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry because every time you show me something from this, I feel like I'm 11. That couldn't have been almost 40. It was, you know, so it's just kind of weird. And uh, perhaps ironically – you know, Force Awakens opens on my brother's birthday, and it's like, and of course, the big story for me is telling my kids is how my brother, I took him to see the first one, and we waited in line for three hours, and it was right when the lights went down that he said, I've got to go to the bathroom. Nice. <laughs> and I said, then go. <laughs> <laughs> and I let my brother go to the bathroom by himself at Century 22. At the age of six. And my children think that's the most horrible story <laughs> that I could tell Did he make them. it back okay? I, uh, he was never the same. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is before there were 20 hours of previews. So how, how much of the movie did he miss? Um, <laughs> he missed the, the first scrolling. Because it wasn't, you're right. It was like, I think it really, the lights came down and it went... <gasps> Lucasfilm, or it was just a long time ago, and a guy because I don't even think it said Lucasfilm originally. No, it didn't. Right. You know, it was just I think it just said a long time ago, and a guy so far away, and then it was like, well, and then I'm like, he better be flushing because well, they did the, they did the 20th Century Fox searchlights. Yeah, that's and then right. it was yeah, the, that was it. I think he had to pee as the searchlights were going around. But anyway, um, that's <laughs> that uh, it to people. By the way, that's emerging icon art photographer Chris McCaw. Although I'm now I've been wondering. I, I, I think he might have emerged. Uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, so let's talk television. And I, I'm going to start with the big scandal of the week. And I can't believe that my life has become topsy-turvy. One million moms. Ten is, moms. Is protesting the Muppets on ABC. Of course they are. I hate them. I do too, but I've been reading reviews of the pilot. And I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I mean, I don't think they should be protesting and should be asking for a boycott. Right. But I get what's upsetting them. And that is that everything I've seen about the Muppets is... Very adult. Is very adult, so blunt, and that's not the Muppets. That show is not for kids. It's like... I I think it's for the... I think they're they're saying, we're not going to be able to sell this to today's kids, but we'll sell it to yesterday's kids. And, And... and I think that's where they're going. And I think it feels so cynical. 
Yeah. And and it really bothered because I think yesterday's kids aren't we're going to reject it. I I don't know. We'll certainly we'll all see. watch the pilot. We will certainly all watch the first Our, episode. At D23, did you go and watch the uh the snippets they were showing? No, I didn't get a chance I to go. I thought to it was really funny. I the stuff that was, and I thought all the animation, all the animation, all the puppet work was true to form. <laughs> all the animated puppets were true to form. Um, it it just felt like they had all said, you know, I'm tired of working for kids. I want to work for teens. But and you know what? But they're wrong. I, you know, and you know why I say they're wrong is because the Muppet, the two movies they did, did well. Yeah. Most Wanted may not have been, may not have done as well. But I'll tell you, the, the reason to me that Most Wanted failed is because. It totally appealed to the adults. It was cultural references that no kid would get. I was just having this conversation, I think, it, 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 over Labor Day, about how, um, like, who gets Ray Liotta is the scary mobster guy. You know, I mean, when they're making references. They, they do get Danny Trejo, but who? what kid knows what Siberia is anymore? Right. right. You know, and, and the gulag and that concept. So... You know, it, 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 its jokes were way out of out of date and out of style. Though there were some things that were funny, back to that chiastic style that mo- most wanted also tried to be like the great Muppet caper, and that was a mistake. Whereas that uh, uh, Siegel, what's his the first Jason Siegel's movie yeah. script was more in keeping, was acknowledging the past, right? But brought it forward and kids love that and you know my kids love that and in fact the thing is like we went to see that movie and so so the first one was like three years ago i think uh at thanksgiving and my daughter uh, let's just say you know a difficult time for our family and anything that would my daughter would connect with we came home from that movie and she said dad do you have any of the show and so we we sat through three episodes because I had it on DVD of the Muppet Show. Yeah, and she was fascinated. She really wanted to make things, you know. So if you present it right, and you don't, I, I'm I'm getting so sick. As much as I enjoy it, of 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 children's entertainment that throws up its hands and says it's the adults that are driving this, and yeah. let's you know, it's like as much as I love shows on Disney XD like like Gravity Falls. Where it's like you're referencing Evil Dead. Yeah, I, I know I've said that before, but what I'm realizing that these kids are getting the parody versions of things that are so far above them before they could have, even have a chance to know what's being made fun of. Yeah. Is just. I mean, we don't say that about you know, like Gravity Falls because there wasn't a prior Gravity Falls that was just right. for kids. So this is a treasured moment in your childhood and in, in, in the childhood of many people. And for some people, that's they're going to go back and watch the dvds and stuff and there's so my my point is i'm not arguing i'm not arguing for it i'm just saying i totally get it apparently at a press conference miss piggy came out in favor of planned parenthood which regardless of my own personal beliefs that's not the place for miss piggy right to do to do that it's like dora coming out and doing that you know the creators can but understand that your characters are separate from you and kermit apparently is very um sex obsessed in the pilot of the uh. new show. So it just feels all wrong. And so I'm already seeing all this criticism online. I'm going, you're right. I feel. When's it, when's it preview? I, I don't know when it's premiere is yeah. it, it, within the next few weeks. Cause everything's is, yeah. but cause we're, we're at that time. But I mean, this, I mean, this weird thing of, you know, I, I'll also say not to please. I'm not trying to get hate mail or, or love mail or anything, 
but watching the Republican debate, you know, like we've gotten so strident that you don't even notice when somebody actually says something that's like, well, that wasn't crazy. Yeah. You know, that that made a lot of sense, but that's not getting any attention. So I feel like I'm in this moment of I've never agreed with a single thing that One Million Moms has ever protested before. So why should I start now? Why should I start now except that I totally understand their point? Yeah. And, you know. Their, their point is fine. Yeah. Their actions You know what are, I'd say? Don't don't demand it get taken off the air. Yeah. Don't watch. Yeah. I understand. And that's the way we're going to vote. novel idea. Uh, you know, that's where I still go. I still say live and let live on that kind of thing. Well, even if even if it has everything that we've been talking about, that is no reason for anyone to say no one who – this no should one has not a be right enjoyed right. by anyone. No one has a right to see it. No, right. people do have a right to see it. Yeah. I just already can tell you it doesn't – I'll give it a shot because it's the Muppets yeah. and I love them. But I don't know – I don't think that I'm going to enjoy it. So we'll it. come back and talk about it after yeah, the show. You know, felt boy puppet, uh, felt boy planet will be. Uh, <laughs> that sounded worse than it. Uh, really in my did. head, it was so innocent, like the Muppets I, used I, to be. I saw you. I saw you going out and registering that uh, <laughs> that domain. Hi ho, <laughs> family planet here. Um, with a okay. Anyway, uh, so we also got and a boy talk about. Can, can I can I have some reasonable discourse on the Fanboy Planet Facebook page? Uh, is that uh, we got uh, emailed on Saturday, so it's only so I, I only uh, tweeted it and put it on the Facebook page because I didn't have access to the regular website. That uh, Ido Goldberg, who was on that show um, Peaky Blinders on Netflix, it's kind of a British gangster in the twenties show. Uh, he is going to play on Supergirl. I had no idea they were doing this. He's going to play. It looks like it sounds like he's going to play both Tio Morrow. Dr. Tio Morrow, who is the creator of Red Tornado and Red Tornado. Which, if you saw it written out, of spells course, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, I think people can figure that out. Uh, well, but, if you say Tio Morrow, they might think its name is T-I-O. Oh, oh he's Uncle. He's Uncle Morrow. Uncle Tio Morrow. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, uh, T-O, Thomas. T period, O period. Yeah, but I can't tomorrow. remember what the, Thomas, I can't remember what the O is. Orenthal. No, it's not. Oh. Uh, there's only one. I've never met anyone other than Mr. Simpson, whose name was Orenthal. But anyway, uh, T period O period Morrow is the creator of Red Tornado, and it looks like Ido Goldberg is also. Pl- well, I know he's playing Red Tornado. They released the image. We have it up on the Facebook page and on our Twitter feed. And do you think that was? And I think it's totally because of the vision. He looks so much like their version of the vision, which in the sixties. Think- do you think that's a Post special effects no, shot? I don't think so. I don't and think that's so. That's been most of the it's, criticism. Are you ready, guys? Are you ready for Tio Moro? Yes. Yes. Tomek Ovadia Mora. That was what I was going to say. Also, Thomas Oscar Moro. There we go. It was the Oscar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Obadia. Obadiah. Obadiah. The original Tio Moro was Thomas Oscar Moro from Flash, Volume 1, Number 143, in March 1964. Mm hmm. The modern Tio Moro is Tomek Ovidaya Mora, Flash Volume 2, Number 19, December 1988. Oh, okay, 88. I didn't know there was a there there, there was a different. It's post one of the crises. Yeah, post crisis on uh, Infinite Earths. Yeah, yeah. And that would have been Wally, not Barry, fighting him. Yeah. Um, anyway, it does look to me like that is a pre special effects. A, anytime you see. Like, there's no background. It's just right. the character. He's standing That's there. a makeup test. That's a cosmetist. And they were anxious to get it out there. Yeah. Because 
and I don't know why they needed to do it because because we didn't did we see a like vision stuff when he was just in the standard makeup without nope. any special effects? They didn't show us anything. I could have sworn there was an nope. early one of the vision. Nope. Okay. There, there, people were like because at one point somebody done a bust of Clark Gregg as the vision, and there were all kinds of like fans doing real because this is the thing we're in an age where. Fans are doing inc- oh yeah are incredibly creative, oh, yeah. cre- incredibly talented. The Harley and Joker thing, and they're putting it up there. Right? Didn't they? Didn't they? Somebody yeah. actually animate. Do you want to kill the Batman? Yeah. And it's just like the, I can't believe that people can do that. So when Rob Campbell to take it back to the beginning of saying like you know a million dollars at the tops, so I'm like you could do some really sophisticated stuff for a million dollars. Yeah. Well, look at the Star Trek TV continuations that are online only. People are doing amazing things. So, and it's all the more heartbreaking when they release a picture like that and go, I can see the potential, yeah. but that's not it. It looks too steampunky and yet, and too bad cosplay. It looks too much like he's trying to look like the vision. It really did. It really did. But I didn't know that they were going to bring in characters like that. Uh, I, so, I'm fine with bringing in the characters. I think what's, what would be awesome is you bring in a character like Red Tornado, it becomes very obvious to me there's a way to connect over but to But Red Flash. Tornado in the comics, even at his most human, did not look – he still had a robotic aspect to his face. And, and by that I mean his face didn't look like fleshy. It it was – and his eyes were without irises. and That was a helmet. He had a face underneath because he had a Did secret he? identity. He was John Smith. He had a girlfriend, okay. Kathy Sutton. He had an adopted daughter. Oh, that's right. He was bald. I mean, but which, what, I mean, which actually the only show, the the adaptation that got it right was the Batman Brave and the Bold. When the Christmas episode, the first year, where it turned right. out that the Waynes were killed on Christmas Eve because Batman, because Bruce Wayne was ungrateful for his nutcracker, uh, he didn't get the toy he wanted, so his parents had to die. Good lesson, but uh, <laughs> but the red good tor- night, everybody. But the red tornado was like a really boring science teacher in his right, secret identity. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, when, when you're going to go for the for the classic shot of the hero, I mean, that's what I expect. I don't expect, yeah. especially when they they did the vision and they did make him look you know so. What, you know what? I would just love. Give it that that wild seventies look. Have that arrow down his forehead, exactly, and that look thing that's almost like a peace symbol on his chest, and the stripes everywhere. Yes. Or the original Lady Red Tornado. Oh, Ma Hunkle. Yeah. Um. No, you know what it is. It, she's shown up. It, it's not that they made Lois land on Earth too. Uh, into Red Tornado. She's. Oh uh, yes, she, yes. She, they she, did. She, she's in Future Zen. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would love to see Ma. I, I thought I'd read that Ma Hunkel was going to show up somehow, somewhere, um, which I just think would be hilarious. Uh, you know, and if anybody goes into the into the Family Planet archives and finds the Once Upon a Dime stuff, uh, which should probably not be converted just because it's so clunky and it should look that old and awkward. Um, but that was one of the you things. You just said converted. We haven't explained what that means. Well, I'm, I, we've already hinted once. 3.0 is coming, and that's all I'm going to say. That's at this the part point. I'm cutting out. <laughs> I guess not. Maybe. It's not that big a scene. It's just going to happen is okay. basically what I'm saying. Uh, but it, it, but in Once Upon a Dime, we did this article. There was this – I mean, and it was a different time. It was a lame point of view of like uh, – I guess apparently there had been a subplot that was sort of cut. And I hadn't even been aware of it that um, uh, Mark Hamill's character was gay. And so they'd been like – they were there was just some really bad you know, gay jokes running through – 
even even the website a little bit. And one of the things was so I reversed it into they were like you know, but actually Terrence Greep, who is a a, a wrestler named Spider Baby, and he's uh, he's gay, had written an article about the the five gayest superheroes in. <laughs> in gold the golden age and so i mean look he could you know and so i reversed it and did the um wrote it from the point of view of of characters where the fan clearly had no idea that there was any like gender bending or anything so red tornado was like the greatest masculine hero and it was the joke was didn't know that of course it was a woman yeah uh, <laughs> you know in the first place so um anyway i'm i'm Intrigued that they're going to do spinoff characters already. I just don't think Supergirl needs it, but that's all right. Um, not a spinoff. Uh, no, not a spinoff. Well, he spins. Um, that's my favorite superpowers action figure. Action. You squeeze his arms and his legs spin. He's a guest star. He's a on guest the, star on the show. I guess what I mean is that, is that they're ex- that they're expanding the, universe. the DC universe. Yeah. I want to be cautious because if CW doesn't get to cross over with CBS, I'm going to be disappointed that that a who character like that who gets who. I you know. Yeah. Where, but maybe now that we know that Constantine's going over to Arrow, not on a regular basis, but, but that in he that is, universe, that, that that they're tying everything but Gotham and Lucifer together. So, and Gotham still could because Gotham is technically earlier in right, time, right? Right. Which is what I'm hoping for until so. the big time travel episode. Not in Gotham. Please don't let there be a time travel. <laughs> that stupid rumor that they would get hypnotized and that would cause them to go back in time. And, and so, that's Dark Shadows. No, that's what they did in the Batman comics. Oh, is that right? Batman and Robin would sit down. There was this, I can't remember what the scientist's name was, but he would hypnotize them, and that was time travel. So they'd have these adventures in history, and they'd have an impact on history, but they were really only hypnotized the whole time. Yeah. So you know, it, it made no dang sense. Oh, the 50s and 60s. Anyway, um, Amanda Seyfried is joining the cast of Twin Peaks. So I just thought, I thought it was that was one for you. Just a throw out there that should be wrapped in plastic. Uh, we shall see. Uh, and, and speaking of one for you, I did catch up. Except I guess a, a new episode was on last night. I did watch Fear the Walking Dead. And? So, oh my! I, I haven't seen this next episode. I haven't seen I, last no, night's episode. So I didn't episode. see last night's. I saw, but I saw the first three episodes. Okay, what do you think? Um, I liked it. I thought that I think that there's some acting and there's some scripting on it that is really bad because you start screaming at them going, do you not realize what's going on? And it does suffer from the problem, which I don't think The Walking Dead did have was if Rick wakes up and he's in the middle of the zombie apocalypse, it doesn't matter if you if you've seen a dozen movies about the zombie apocalypse, you're in it seeing people not. It's seeing people exist, especially teenagers, because there's so many high school kids in that in that first episode. Right. That have never seen a zombie movie or have any idea of any of the tropes, that really kind of bothers me. Right in this universe, there are no there, zombie there movies because there are zombies. George Romero never lived. <laughs> right, um, you know, and, and so that that really kind of just it, it strikes me strikes me as hollow. But I still, as I suspected, I was like, I, I would like is that slow build of people because I was watching with, what's I, going on and I was watching it's almost with like pe- always going on in the background right as I was watching with people who were screaming at the TV why don't you re-, you know and I was like no I get why the high school counselor the would be professor slow to that helped Batman and Robin go back in Thank time you. was Professor Nichols Professor Nichols yes Grant Morrison wrote a really bizarre Professor Nichols story like near the end of his run before Batman Incorporated and I, I can't, I can't even tell you what happened. But it was one of those where Troy Benson like shook it in my face and said, "Really, Grant Morrison makes sense?" <laughs> I said, "No, I can't explain to you what happened in that issue." But anyway, Fear the Walking Dead. 
uh, I understood why the adults are slow to accept it. Yeah. Um, the teens, I'm sorry, you know, and I get why nobody believes the kid who's recovering drug addict. And, you know, and so I liked the slow build. I just didn't think all the characters were that compellingly done. But then when they showed the bounce house, I freaked out. I'm like, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. You know, and it's yeah. just like, uh. So, and, and I was also, because I knew Ruben Blades was on it. Some people say Blades. I think he depends on whether he angles himself with Blades. The, it was the flamenco star. Like, he did crossover dreams in the 80s. He was a big yeah, yeah. movie guy. So I was waiting he's for his appearance. He's the barbershop guy? Yeah. I was waiting for his appearance. He's, he's not even in the first episode, but IMDb no. said he was. So I was like, you know, paying attention. But You know the first movie I remember seeing him in? What was it? Predator 2? No. The TV version, the TV movie about the 1989 Bay Area earthquake. Oh, yeah, he was in that. Which is weird that I remember that one, too. But anyway, um, so I liked, the, I liked the first three episodes. And I think, you know, it, it, was the right, it was the right balance that I don't think, for me, the original Walking Dead was. Like, you know, I, I watched the first season of that. And because it was so kind of steeped in zombie, whereas this is kind of this build, I don't know if, it's gonna, if I'm going to enjoy two seasons of it. Because eventually you're going to have to give in. Yeah. But... You know, when they're saying, like, we're going to go out to the desert, I'm like, I, it's making me think, as I thought, you know, is, well, how, which I often think when I'm driving on I 5, like, I stop at a rest stop, I'm going, we'd be pretty safe here. Yeah. I mean, it would take a while, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and I think about what they the dry lot, out on the way out there, too. I, exactly what I was thinking is they, they you know, and the vultures would be going down, you know, um, which is at least Resident Evil overcame that, where it said, no, those are, the Corvids are infected by the virus, too. Yeah. I'm like, ah, crap. Uh, <laughs> no getting away from it. You know, but um, I, I, you know, I got a lot of, and seeing the government respond in a way that we weren't able to with the walking dead and and you know it was interesting to me so far seeing so, the, the the government kind of cover up response oh because i totally think yeah. they're going to do that yeah well <laughs> we know, i say that as if that's ha- happening uh, <laughs> the, the, the the parts that i have not appreciated have been uh, the, i'll give you a very specific scene it gets repeated a couple times is when she's walking into the principal's office and he's hunched over there against the yeah, wall no i agree with and you you're going that. Oh my god! Oh my god! And he just turns around. It's like you—you you just set me up because of other films, and because you know it, it's dramatic irony. Yeah. I mean, it's as old as as uh, Aristotle. I get that, um, but it, it's yeah. The, it was cheap, and, and I'd say it was cheap. And then there are just some some of the direction uh, and the acting is just so broad that it's it's weird to me whereas some is just fine like i took you know i i i again if i were that uh clifton collins the uh stepdad uh who goes to rescue his own family i'm like i'm screaming at his ex-wife going would you just listen to him he's trying to save you and your son and okay the the scene hit a little close yeah but (laughs) but it was still you know i it was just like uh I got that, but you know, some of it was just so broad and so much exactly where you're just going. Come on, at a certain point, when you see that their eyes have gla- have milked over, <laughs> and there's blood dripping through, and I know, like the principal, his back, his injury was in the back, so you, she couldn't see. Right. Kim Dickens couldn't necessarily have seen it, but it's still like everything else about him looks completely wrong, and you already know there's something He's going on with people. He's lurching at you, and he looks really off. 
And, and are for you gonna God's sake, you grew up in the eighties. You knew him? about Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So anyway, but no, zombie movies don't exist in this universe. Yeah, <sighs> it bothers me. You know, that's that's the thing. Where I never had to question that in Walking Dead. It's like you got It's like in the uh, TV version of Sherlock Holmes, where they they, they, don't, they never reference the fact. Which that is strangely, I never bother. That doesn't bother me at all. No, and, and I should give Elementary a try just to just to see. But but the, but Sherlock, the Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. but in both of them, yeah. yeah, and Elementary is actually pretty good. Yeah, I, which I've heard. So you know, I, I Justin's like, totally addicted to it. Yeah, well, all right then. There you go. Uh, yeah, 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 we're for death vigil. Um, so uh, yeah, let's uh, talk. This is a week of things that we wanted to. You know, Gotham returns tonight. Uh, we're podcasting, so we're not seeing Rise of the Villains. Comments I heard a lot last week uh, among people looking at the billboards because there are billboards all over uh, L.A. for Rise of the Villains. And it's interesting that the season really is named. I'm still concerned that it's about five years too soon for the villains to truly rise. Yeah. But it is what it is. It say how high they're going to rise. Oh, it's right. <laughs> the they rise floor, and they stumble. Floor. Uh, I, I I don't know, but uh, so that that comes tonight. Um, the one the guy who is playing the Joker esque character without actually calling him the Joker, right? Uh, oddly enough, every time I see him, I think of Danny Elfman back from the Boing, no, I do Boingo too. Days. I do too. Um, and and and, uh, and the producers have like taunted that he still may not, not be, be the Joker, yeah. which is like. Okay, really? How many psychotic clowns are you going to have yeah. running around? Well, all right. I, I watch the Republican debates. Uh, oh. Nailed it. We weren't going to go there. We weren't. We did. I'm sorry. I apologize. That was such low-hanging fruit and such a cheap shot, and I apologize. Uh, still. Look at that face. <laughs> My face? I look innocent? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, this is not a political podcast, so please... Well, let's agree to disagree. Uh, anyway, Minority Report starts. And, you know, that's one of those sci-fi. I've never seen it. You've never seen the movie? No, I've never seen the movie. Oh, but, wow. You know, I have to I had, I have to correct you on one. Uh, you know, I, I'll take that off. So I've never seen the movie. And I guess and so this takes place after the film as well, right? So Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm kind of interested by that because I like the idea. I've always liked the concept. Don't know why. It's just one of those movies that I've always it, – it's been like, oh, it's kind of on my list. And then I never get around to it. And – you know, so I should, uh, but that starts tonight as well as I think Blind Spot starts on NBC it's this week at least. Yeah, yeah. the one with uh, Jamie. Well, she's Sif, uh, but uh, yeah, it is Jamie. What's her last name? Uh, it's all right. We'll just yeah <laughs> punch it in later. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, uh, the trailer that they showed incessantly at Comic Con on the billboard outside actually made the show look kind of interesting because I like those puzzle things. Yeah. Um, Jamie Alexander. Jamie, Jamie Alexander, Alexander, thank you. But and and the, the isn't this like the John Doe kind of thing too? Yeah. 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 Um, there was a show I loved. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Dominic Purcell, I miss you. Uh, anyway, uh, well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't miss him because he's on Heat Wave. He's Heat Wave on The Flash and DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Uh my only concern on, on Mondays, and I think we've talked about it before, is that you know, like Big Bang Theory is on at eight o'clock opposite Gotham for now. Right. But in late October, Supergirl goes into that slot, and 
I, between the two, I can st- I can already say, tell you, I just think that Supergirl is going to be the better show, and I hate to. Why would they make me choose between two things I should love? It's you know, it's 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 bat it's Batman v Superman light on the network of right. you know, it's right. Gotham versus National City <laughs> as they say for Supergirl, uh, but she's you know, I, I love everything that. She's embraced for girl power. CBS has done a fantastic publicity job. And I've had cynical people on Facebook say this, like, you know, oh, they're just trying to get ratings. But it's like, you know, there are a bunch of girls being inspired. And I just don't think that's a bad thing. Do they break the streaming and on-demand stuff into the Nielsen ratings? I don't think they know what to do yet. I think they might because I have the... um you have the ear of AT and T Uverse app on my phone, uh-huh. and one of the the first thing you do after you sign in is it says, "Hey, do you want to submit to the Nielsen?" Oh, okay, good, cool tracking. So, I mean, then I thing, almost want to download. I would have the. The other Xfinity thing I want to say is, what show is not just trying to get ratings? That's why they're on TV, well, right? No, but they're trying to cannibalize the ratings of the other. Of, of the other show when they put something they put two superhero oh, no. shows no, but, up but, against but each I'm other what I'm talking about is the cynics are saying like when you know um, right. they did a screening of the Supergirl pilot and they invited a bunch of Girl Scouts and right. you know and, and they're like and they've shown had a lot of uh, photographs of, of Melissa Benoist with this there's this troop that had already adopted the Supergirl symbol before they even announced the pilot and so she's done a lot of they've done a lot of charity work together and people are like you know oh they're just doing it so that you get publicity and I'm like I don't care the reality is that young the girls are seeing Supergirl the way Supergirl should be. Uh-huh. Um, she's an inspirational character. She seems very human in that pilot. Uh, again, you know, not that I get to see that many pilots a year, but having watched that, the I'm thinking the only pilot that got me as excited as Supergirl was The Flash last year, and yeah. and The Flash was and I saw that pilot months before it, it debuted. And even and I knew Constantine was kind of a mess, but I, I thought it would get better. But the Flash was immediately this is a show I want to watch, and Supergirl is the same thing. I can say that, you know. Whereas Gotham, I hate watch that sometimes. You know, I I, I mean it's just the reality is is it there and go. I keep on thinking, yay, they're finally going to kill off Fish Mooney, and they no, did. they didn't. They did. Then they did. Finally, yeah, maybe. Um, no, they did. Off. She said it. Yeah, uh, she she said she's not until going season three. That's okay. I kind of like Fish Mooney because at least she was enjoying herself on the set. Uh, you know, I, I I like that kind of over theatrical. Yeah. Because I think that fits in Gotham City. It's like Dick Tracy. I mean, because that's what it is. Is talk again. Sorry, Bill Finger, but you know, Finger aped a lot of what he saw Chester Gould doing with 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 Dick Tracy. I like the I like the whole kind of like the the. F- crime families against each other part of it uh, and the the almost mini um godfather uh plot line i think that it. part's cool but I, I i i really also sort of resent that most of the villains as we've seen them are the same kind of psychotic and you know and i know it's a weird point to say but the what they did with edward enigma at the end of that of season one oh yeah was too soon yeah too sharp to making him as if he's like the Joker or Two Face, right? Instead of who, instead of each, there's a subtle difference. And it's not even all that well, subtle. Two Face doesn't. There's do a anything. difference to the insanity that the, the yeah. denizens of Arkham suffer. You know, and and especially when right. the game right. Arkham Asylum did such a great job of pointing that out. Yeah, 
No, the Riddler is the Riddler is. I mean, right now the Riddler in uh, DC Comics is Mockingbird. I mean, he's a, he's a really manipulator and behind the scenes manipulator of of well, other people. You know, um, I, which they had been building even before in New Fifty Two and in Arkham Asylum. I I, I, I loved the con- yeah I loved the concept. I don't know if it was Grant Morrison who started it. Somebody it was in the era when Grant Morrison was writing Batman that the Riddler started a detective agency because he thought the best thing to do was to totally just humiliate Batman by being smarter. Yes. And I'm like, that's the key to the Riddler. That's a great twist for him, you know? So, and this guy, this TV enigma, we can't ever see. Plus it's, you know, it's like they took the giggle of Frank Gorshin and thought that's what the character was. Mm. And that's not what Frank Gorshin was either. You know, again, and sometimes I talk about Gorshin, it's like, he was so good yeah. <laughs> in that role. Um, this week also gets Heroes Reborn, which I'm going to give a shot to, even though I have no idea what Al I Heroes worked in. on it. I know you did. We can freely say that, right? I uh, absolutely no insight whatsoever about no, it. No, nor should we, but it looks kind of interesting to me. But I, again, having conversations with friends down in L.A. about this, like when Heroes came up last week was sort of like, could you tell me? I said, they'd never really explained the eclipse. And, my, and, and I think one of yeah. the things that really bothered me about the series m- once I realized this is, again, they didn't know where they were going. What gives me hope for Heroes Reborn is, again, the trailer they showed at Comic-Con made it seem like they know what this story is about. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a big deal. There were parts of Heroes that I, I really, really enjoyed. And there were parts that when they got to some of the characters, I just kind of just tuned entirely out. And you can't do that. And it's basically an ensemble show, and it's only going to be as strong as its weakest characters. The, the right. they have to be, they have to all be engaging and involved. And there has to be some reason why they're all there together. Yeah. And I, I will blindly blame the crappiness <laughs> of seasons two and three on, on the writer's strike. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that say, and, and it's like, well, one, then respect writers better, which actually television does. Uh, but two, it, I will throw back that that's the excuse for how bad Transformers 2 was. And Transformers 3 and 4 had no such excuse. And 4 was definitely worse. 3 was marginally better. So... Again, you can blame the writer's strike, but the other... Well, th- I blame all of Transformers on Michael Bay. Okay. Okay. But you can blame the writer's strike for Heroes, but I still think what really goes down to it is, after an initial... He could carry himself forward with the coolness factor of what Heroes was for the first season, but he didn't know where he wanted to go with it. Otherwise, there would have been an explanation for the Eclipse. Yeah. And and actually, as a, as an image... It would have tied into them better. It doesn't. It's just sort of like, oh, it's cool. It was happening, and they didn't know. Well, I think they they also fell into, and I don't think TV good TV shows don't do this anymore. And that is the the feeling that you have to tell everything that's come before as reason for what's going on, and then for that episode, every episode has to drag the history in through yeah. dialogue through some kind of subtle or not subtle exposition and I don't, uh, the and the good ones don't do that anymore 
They just, they just because that's go. an understanding how how it's changed. Because the other thing I'd say about uh, to go back to Gotham calling season two Rise of the Villains is reality is <laughs> a lot of people are going to bank a few and power through. Right. Like in our absence, we didn't talk about how there was a trailer came out for Jessica Jones starting November twentieth on Netflix, and it's and, it, and they even make a point of because I guess Netflix is doing some series where they're releasing it week by week. Oh. And some they are doing as, you know, all at Everything once so you at can once. binge. Yeah. And the Marvel ones, because they have so many Marvel series that they want to get to, they're just dumping all 13 of, I think it's 13, of Jessica Jones f- for binge watching. And when you do that, you don't need to. And the reality is more and more people right. are doing that. Right. You're going to sit through and say, I'm going to watch three hours here. And even because of the of the nature of how when they revived Doctor Who, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, that first Christopher Eccleston season was, well, if you wanted to watch it, you had all of them at your disposal in America the first time because you really weren't watching it legally. No. Because nobody had bothered to pick it up. So, you know, um, we got into that binge-watching habit. So they don't need to go, this is what has gone before, this is what has come after, because there's nobody... The old theory was, because I had done some brief flirting with TV writing in the like 90s, and the idea was you had three episodes where they believed there are people that would get obsessed, and they'll watch every episode. But people, but there's the casual viewer who's going to turn in, tune in maybe every third episode. Test it for a while. Test it. But they might watch the first, they might not do two or three, and then they'll watch again. I don't think that that model is there anymore. I, I think it's different now because you can just binge. So, uh, you know, like I said, we should mention, of course, like I said, Jessica Jones coming. That trailer was very purple. Nice. Um, David Tennant as Kilgrave, wearing a lot of purple, but himself not purple-skinned. I'm disappointed. But still. Uh, Maybe he'll get purple. Uh, I'd like to just give it into, give into it. Uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah, that's it. We're giving Heroes Reborn a shot. This last weekend, Doctor Who... Return. Did you watch it? I did. I I did because again they, they this one they figured out. BBC we, America put it on uh, on their website and allowed you to watch it the next morning. We had actually uh, the week before gone you did the theatrical. to the theatrical release of the two prior mm-hmm. uh, the season ending episodes in 3D, and it was I I love those episodes. It was fun seeing them in 3D. The credits in 3D were astonishing. <laughs> I could have watched those credits like four or five times in a row. Didn't you watch the 50th anniversary episode in 3D? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We went for that as well. Um, the theater was near empty. As for the for the 50th anniversary, the theater was full. Um, it was a Tuesday night. Uh, which I thought was a mistake. Yeah, I, I I think that's that's just not smart. And I think the they did two nights of showings. I think it was like Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, but with the fiftieth, they did a Saturday showing, which was packed. Right, and then they did I think the Monday following. But so they let the hype build, and they showed the doctor's meditation afterwards. They did a they did a little they did an interview where um, oh, what's his name, Wesley Wesley, Wesley Crusher. Uh, uh, Will, Wheaton. Will Wheaton interviewed them. Uh, oh, and cool. probably, yeah, I, I like Will Wheaton a lot, but this was probably one of his sloppiest interviews I've ever seen him do. 
so just not yeah not on point um and it really looked like they were looking at him like going you're not really on point are you but the, it was still it was i a, felt that way when they, they did it last year with uh hardwick and will wheaton on the little on the pre-show uh, on the yeah they, they they're fans yeah but they're more just sort of well those two guys together they they were they were uh, roommates back in the day yeah you know, before well, will got his first which job was a tuesday um so yeah it was a little a little disappointing overall but we did see the doctor's meditation and then they broadcast the doctor's meditation um prior to this episode as a separate event did you mm. watch that well uh, i watched a short but i'm not sure it was the right one is was it the handing the will to the witch no Okay, that's. I feel like I had missed something, and I was trying desperately to find it, and I haven't found it. The yet. doctor's meditation starts with him, and it looks to be like a Scottish castle. No, nope, and he's ringed by, um, and it introduces it introduces the character who we have the big reveal about um, when he's back in time, and they all take off, and he goes off and finds right. the TARDIS and no, turns yeah, around. Yeah. That character gets introduced in the in the. And I'll tell you, that character was the most disappointing in terms of fate. Because I was hoping that what they were going to introduce, since we do, there was another, you know, bombshell over the weekend that will bore the crap out of Nate, uh, is that uh, Louise Coleman announced, Jenna, Louise, Jenna Coleman announced that this will be her last season. Oh, she did? Yeah. So it is official. She let it slip on a talk show. And, the, the, but it, it is time. She's, stra- you know, she, her, her run is as long as any other companion's. And I thought that by having this other guy, it was almost going back to the Jamie, Jamie yeah. the Jamie thing of like, well, we haven't seen somebody who isn't of our time, right, in a long time. Well, even even so, or even just like a primitive like Leela from Seventeen. Yeah. So I thought that maybe that was the change, and that's that doesn't look like that's where they're going to go. I'm not saying it's not. It could be. It just it doesn't look like it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm the already, episode itself. I enjoyed it. Man, uh, you just had to... Twist after twist, and I'm going to give... And Capaldi must have just been gushing as he read scene after scene where he just just to chew the scenery up. Just, well, he, and he had some great lines, oh, yeah. and he had some great... There were some really great... The greatest entrance ever. Great moments, and I just... I enjoyed it. But, you know, I've already seen a lot of backlash as well of people going... And, and I can understand this... This is not a show in which there's ever been tight continuity. Yeah. Um, as even my friend Drew Simchick, who occasionally writes reviews of it for us, says is like, you know, continuity was sort of added in as they went along and made up. And then if it contradicted, oh, well. And this modern take on it has done the same thing. I mean, the universe has stopped and restarted a couple of times. And I believe that changed right. the continuity right. too. But I think that Moffat has very clearly made two things clear about his run. You can call it either a legend or a fairy tale. And it's sort of like Grant Morrison saying, you know, no child questions who washes the Batmobile. I just want to see Batman and Robin get into it. Or who built the Batcave. Yeah, it's... I've never heard him say that. I've heard him say that. No, I, that's what I've always said. You know, it's yeah, like, But he found the Batcave. How did he get all the equipment down there? It was there. Um, you know, so it's all natural rock formations. Sure. A natural stalactite. cray. Um, so uh, the, the, it's the same thing with, with Doctor Who, though, is that when it 
it contradicts the logic. It doesn't make sense. It's a series of cool moments, the way a kid might breathlessly tell the story. And as I'm seeing backlash and people our age getting upset about, well, this, I don't like that, blah, blah. And I go, but if you were 10, that yeah. would have been awesome. No, they're too invested in their trivia. Seriously, that's what they're investing. They, they've studied it. Welcome to our most ironic podcast episode ever. Uh, as two Zorlaks face across the table and say, "Yes, people are too invested in the trivia," but it's true. I to some point, that's where I think this is what Moffat's point is: is throw away the trivia, love the characters. Yeah. When John Barrowman at Gallifrey One last year said, uh, "You know that the scariest villain to fight to be on the set as Captain Jack." when he had to face Davros was terrifying. And I'm like, well, this version of Davros isn't terrifying to me. But John Barrowman was eight seeing Davros and scared the pee out of him when he was a little kid. And that's what, you know, and and that's what it is. It's a kid's story being told in a very adult way. And yeah, so I, I I can hardly wait for next week to see what are you going to, what are they going to do? How are they going to get out of this? And where the hell is Maisie? Um, you know, so it's about well, time. Why, why did the, I mean, and Justin was saying, didn't the, didn't the Dalek death beams leave bodies behind? And I don't think they did. No, they disintegrate. Yeah. At least in the modern era. I think maybe originally Daleks. Maybe they just slumped over after they got hit. Because that was a, spe- you know, yeah, yeah it's a, a cheap thing. But, um, yeah, and, and please, we've already we already know disintegration means nothing to Missy. It's teleportation, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know that's not how Clara's going out either. No, so, but no. there's going to be some twist. So, anyway, welcome back, old man, and uh, looking forward to next week and to see what else happens and and so forth. So, uh, I think that uh, oh, I did want to say, of course, this weekend was. Uh, Speaking of Doctor Who, Lego Dimensions does come out this weekend. Lego Dementia? <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, but the thing is, within the game, you know, another announcement that came out is that Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd are voicing Marty and That's Doc. That's awesome. In, as every doctor, you know, every living doctor, I guess, is now voicing the Lego versions in the game, too. I think that's awesome. You know, so I think that's really cool. But to, to see, I wasn't necessarily interested in the Back to the Future thing. But now that I know Michael J. Fox is playing Marty again, I think that's really cool. So uh, I'll pick that up eventually. Um, you know, I, I think Will Arnett is doing Batman as well for the game. I'm not positive if, if he is, but you brought it up. I've been meaning to bring this up. Are we done with Legos Dimension? Yeah. Have you watched Rick and Morty? I watched the pilot. I didn't get that into it, but so many people are into it. I'm going to have to give it another you chance. You have to watch three episodes, and then you just kind of go, oh, my God. Well, you told me that before, Flash Gordon. No, I uh, did not. <laughs> so. You were watching right there with me. Um, and I was thinking, why is this so good? Because it's, it's so obviously a take on Back to the Future. With Yeah. Um, and the thing is... And, it's, and that the f- fans of that show... Are so diehard, they make our Venture Brothers fandom look casual. They are, and the and but the thing about it is, it just launches every episode, just launches into some new craziness and goes and it and bangs out yeah. like four or five different types of scenes that could easily be separate episodes by yeah. itself. There was this one insane, I think it may have been the season opener 
where time was getting fragmented. So, you know, the whole thing about if you, if in one, if I drop, I hold this glass, I could drop it or I could toss it over my shoulder or I could do all the different things. So the screen kept on splitting until you got like 64 rows by 64 rows of different scenes with tiny little differences between what was going on in them. Um, Any coincidence that it's a Dan Harmon created show? Yeah. Um, Very similar. Yeah. But the, the idea that... Um, that this mad scientist grandfather who lives with the family and the family is all accepting of everything that's going on crazy so you don't have the, oh, we got to hide this from the parents kind of thing yeah. going on. Everybody's just like, bang, you're into it. Um, and it's just so funny. So I highly recommend it. All right. Okay. Well, uh, that's all I have again. Once again, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. The next podcast we will be doing is, I think it's going to be, it's, yeah, we're going to have a little gap. Uh, Rick's off at uh, a couple of professional appearances. And convolution. Well, no, I I wasn't included. I was, I knew you had other things with your consulting. So I was just saying, um, convolution. I'd like to, we'll record record at convolution and we'll publish that. That'll probably be our next podcast. Right. Uh, I don't think it's a probably, I think it's going to be yeah. our next podcast. Uh, so anyway, uh, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, and you hinted at it. Let's just go ahead and say it clearly about the website. We are uh, in the process and undergoing a redesign, Fanboy Planet 3.0, which we admit. Just this close. Long overdue to do uh, is going to catch up. And I so think exciting. it's going to ca- cause our our content to really explode. Uh, in a good way, I mean, is that our ability to, to keep up with things will, will go much faster. And uh, maybe we'll be able to get a, a little more written contribution. We'll have comments from, from on people. every article. You'll be able to. You know, mm-hmm. that, what? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know what I realized? I don't think Nate's really been included in that. No, he hasn't. So, yeah. Hey, Thanks, Nate, we're guys. redesigning the site. <laughs> you want to come to the meeting on Wednesday? We're going to do a review. You've uh, included me on the tweets about it. Yeah, I did. Uh, yes, uh, so it, it's coming, and it's gonna, and I think it's gonna be able to allow, uh, when, especially uh, when you pick up something you think is really cool, and even you just want to repost in there, is gonna be a lot easier for you to do. It, it, it no longer, uh, as editor in chief, my job as gatekeeper gets a lot easier. The 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 hinges are going to be greased, and I just really have to turn a key, and that's awesome. So. Anyway, I hope that has excited the people who are listening because uh, it excites me every time I have a moment to sit down and look at it and go, wow, I can do this now? Whoa, I can do this now? So um, all you'll see and is what I look content. at. I look at it and go, hey, our readers are going to see this now and our yeah. readers are going to enjoy this now? <laughs> Rick's going to stop reposting other sites on Facebook. What? <laughs> <laughs> and he can just actually write it up? Uh, you know, anyway, no, I there are days when you just go that's all you can do is repost somebody else's thing and it's like oh no no we've got the email too but we just didn't have time and now we might be able to if the process goes faster it's just more content for us Um, so anyway I'm Derek McCaw editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com I'm Dave Cather and I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use use your powers powers only for good
And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.